You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. (laughs) I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. uh, We are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! (laughs) It is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. (laughs) (laughs) We do a podcast? What the fuck? Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit down, boo, I'll tell you how I became Brother Voodoo. In Haiti, Port-au-Prince, born and raised in Marvel Strange Tales, where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all, training with Jabo at Voodoo School. When a couple of aim who were up to no good, started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight, and Papa said, bitch, you moving with my buddy Steven in Greenwich. I pulled up to the house about seven or eight, and I yelled to the cabbie, yo, home, smell you later. I looked at my kingdom, it was finally true. Brian Michael Bendis made me Dr. Voodoo. Hey guys, welcome back to the final spooktacular episode of Fan Holes Fright Fest. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight. And joining me tonight are two of my count them two, one, two, ah, 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 spooky fellow fan holes. Why don't you give a shout out, guys, and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hi, I'm Mike, and I like extreme sports and evanescence. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me back to life. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm uh, Tony, guys. And if you are a B or C list Marvel villain or supernatural hero, I've got a job for you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So tonight, to wrap up our month in October, our Fan Holes Fright Fest month, what we have been doing is looking at a spooky dookie TV show and then following it up with some spooky dookie comics. And so this week for the final week, what we are looking at is the TV show masters of horror, specifically the season one, episode eight titled cigarette burns from the master of horror, John Carpenter. And then we're going to be following it up with a look at, a little-known Marvel Comics miniseries from the late 90s called The Supernaturals. 
So you'll you'll if you don't know what we're gabbing about and what we're making cracks and jokes about, you will soon enough. But basically, I think what we'll do is we're going to deal with Masters of Horror first. And this first aired December 16th, 2005, this particular episode. And just to give some background before I go into a blatantly ripped off synopsis from Wikipedia, because I'm too lazy to write my own. Masters of Horror was basically the, the, the elevator pitch for that was it was a Showtime original series. And it's an anthology series that deals with lots of kind of horrific gore elements. But I think the way that the producers probably got it greenlit was they attracted well-known directors from horror franchises from the 80s and 90s to direct these episodes in the first season. And, you know, hence the title, Masters of Horror. So you have a different kind of, you know, maybe a Twilight Zone-ish, maybe a... Uh, kind of a little more gory, horrific episode type stuff, but basically it'd be a new cast of characters every week and a certain storyline, and it would all be wrapped up within the hour, and, you know, maybe have your kind of M. Night Shamalama Ding Dong twist at the end of it and everything, but the enticement was, hey, you know, I think what enticed me, you know, being a fan of 80s horror was, you know, the first episode was billed as you know, Toby Hooper, you know, directed by the guy who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre and who was like the lead actor that was billed in that Toby Hooper episode. None other than Robert England, Freddy Krueger himself, you know. So for me, that was a series that I ended up being attracted to based on all the hype. Now, without getting into too many specifics, this episode, this season eight episode by John Carpenter, is my favorite of the first season. It's actually the only episode I like. I think all the other episodes are kind of self-indulgent crap. So I, <laughs> not, not, to, not to sell it short, but this, this one really, really affected me, and that's why I chose it for Fright Fest and you know, chose it to focus on. And I, I'm always kind of curious what people's reactions to it are, and I don't believe either Mike or Tony had ever seen this before. And the other thing that I kind of want to preface this with before I go into the synopsis is I think part of the reason, I mean, I think this is very well directed. It's, it's, it's extremely creepy and gory and, and it, it definitely is going to have an impact on a viewer one way or the other. But I think the reason why it had such a big impact on me when I saw it is probably twofold. I was raised Catholic. And we'll get into the nitty gritty of the story, but I think that has an impact on how I took the episode seriously from the outset. Whereas I think if somebody was of a different denominal background or anything like that, you know, any kind of different religious background, you, you might not be all in, you know, the first time you, you see certain scenes and everything. And then the second half, which is the most important part, was when I saw this, this December 16th, 2005, I remember exactly where I was. I was in my Playa del Rey apartment because I was sick off my ass with food poisoning and I had like the worst fever ever. So when I was watching this, like not only is it kind of trippy and fucked up as is when you just watch it without any intoxication or or any kind of extra thing going on, but for me, 
I was already super feverish. So I was already kind of tripping balls as it was just looking at like orange juice or something. So then I put this on and it was just kind of like my mind was like completely fucking blown. And I think every time I've shown this to somebody after that, I'm like, I don't know if I'm overselling this or not, because at the time it was just like, I was like, holy fucking crap. This is fucking real. Oh my God. I'm tripping balls. And I was like totally into it. And then I think, you know, not being feverish, watching it, you know, two or three more times as a follow up view. I'm not sure that it's I don't know. We'll see what Mike and Tony think. But but I, I, I sometimes I'm always worried I, I'm either overselling this or, or maybe, you know, you know, people might see it and then tend to undersell it from, you know, my passion for it or whatever. So so I just kind of wanted to preface that. And then I guess what we'll do is, like I said, I'm just going to give the blow-by-blow uh, blow synopsis here from Wikipedia because, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just want to do it justice because there's lots of different aspects that this story deals with. So here we go. Deeply in debt to the father of his late wife, rare films dealer Kirby Sweetman, played by Norman Reedus, has less than a month to produce $200,000 in order to keep his small theater afloat. He is hired by an old cinephile, Mr. Bellinger, to find the only existing print of a rare 30-year-old movie, La Fin Absolute du Monde, which translates to The Absolute End of the World. The film supposedly led to a homicidal riot during its premiere at the Stygies Film Festival, after which it was destroyed. Bellinger leads Sweetman to a hidden room in his mansion, which contains an emaciated pale man in chains. The wounds on the man's shoulders appear to be the source of a pair of angelic wings. The chained man explains that his existence is bound to the existence of the film. Bellinger then offers Sweetman $100,000 to find the film. Sweetman, of course, increases this to $200,000. Sweetman begins his research and gets his first lead, a film critic who wrote a review. The mentally sick critic gives Sweetman an audio tape of an interview with the film's director. Sweetman listens to the tape and has a hallucination of his late wife as she's committing suicide. Sweetman's friend tells him that he was the projectionist at a secret screening of the film. He was spared death and insanity because he turned away from the film as it played. Eventually, he had tried to stop it, but blacked out, only to wake up with his left hand burned. He sends Sweetman to a warehouse, where he meets a deranged filmmaker. Sweetman is seized, injected with anesthetic, and blacks out, waking up tied to a chair. The filmmaker explains to Sweetman that it was an angel that was mutilated in the film, and the evil of that horror affects everyone who watches the film. Sweetman experiences another vision, and when he comes to, he finds himself holding the machete. The filmmaker has his throat slashed. Before the man dies, he says, Katya. Sweetman eventually speaks with Katya, who turns out to be the director's widow. She gives Sweetman the film. When he asks how the director died, the widow reveals that he slashed his own throat, and hers as well, though not fatally, in her case. Sweetman brings the film to Bellinger and collects his payment. Bellinger sees the mutilated angel in the film. Sweetman is informed that his father-in-law has locked up his theater. He receives a phone call from a distraught Bellinger and quickly returns to the mansion. There he finds the butler, 
who gouges his own eyes out with a knife. Inside, he finds the old man loading his own intestines into the reel of a film projector. Sweetman's father-in-law pulls a gun and threatens to kill him. They struggle, and another cigarette burn envelops the screen. Sweetman awakens to find both him and his father-in-law watching the film, both bloody. The butler frees the chained angel. Sweetman's late wife appears and bites her father's neck in a hallucination. Sweetman then wakes up and decides that he and his father-in-law both need to die because neither of them can truly let go of her memory as long as they're alive. Sweetman then brutally kills his father-in-law and commits suicide himself. The last scene shows the angel taking the two film reels back. The angel walks into the theater, kindly looks at Kirby's bloody corpse and says, Thank you for this indicating the film reels before leaving the theater. And that is the quick and shitty synopsis from Wikipedia. <laughs> no, I mean, I just wanted to get all the details in there so that we could actually talk about it in detail. But like I was kind of building up to, and, and again, I, I guess I tend to oversell this a great deal, but this, this had a huge impact on me when I saw it. I mean, the the opening sequence with when you're first introduced to the angel and you see his wings are torn out. Like, I, I think that speaks to what I was trying to explain before about coming from a Catholic background. Like I don't think there was any question in my mind. Like when I first, you know, the way the Wikipedia writes it, it's like, Oh, supposedly it's an angel. And I'm like, I'm not a fucking atheist. You know, like, I'm just like, dude, that was a fucking angel. Like, I mean, it's like one of those things where, you know, kind of like I, 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 sometimes I listen to podcasts and it's like, you know, they kind of say, well, in Indiana Jones's universe, you'd be demonstrably stupid to be an atheist, you know, because of all the shit that's gone down to Indiana Jones, you know. So so I feel the same way about this film. It's like, clearly that's, I mean, that's an angel. Like, there's no, there's no two ways getting around it. Like, that, that is an angel. So, you know, that part of it, like, to totally tripped me out. And then I, I've always liked the idea that, I guess... There seems to be an interesting notion that, you know, sometimes I, I feel like certain folks maybe in Hollywood or filmmakers or whatever, like when, when, when a film does something good, they all want to run around and pat themselves on the back for it. But when a film does something bad, they immediately, or, you know, if it's a video game or whatever, you know, you've got all these angry moms or whatever the fuck's going on. And of course, it's easy to kind of go, oh, well, that's complete bullshit. Like, you know, the person should have known better. But I, I always find that kind of disconnect because it's like you'll certainly take the pat on the back when it's for something good. But when it turns into something horrific, then all of a sudden it's like, well, I didn't have anything to do with it. It's just a film. It's an imaginary thing. Like, they should know better. And so I, I just kind of found it interesting that even though this film critic he goes to that saw the film is presented as crazed and, and kind of a madman you know he does have that that monologue talking about how you place your trust in filmmakers and you don't expect them to abuse that trust because they can manipulate you and they can actually do horrible things with you know the power of the film you know so so i think that spoke to me as well and as far as like the the end sequence i mean that's I think even watching it now, I mean, yeah, I was tripping balls because I was feverish at the time when I first watched it way back in 2005, but I mean, it's still pretty, pretty horrific. Pretty heavy, yeah. 
I mean, the guy's sticking his intestines into the film reel. I mean, that it's basically like they build it up so much, and it, it, it kind of reminds me of like a Blair Witch that delivers, you know, like that that there's so much build up to this film, <laughs> and like the film clearly is, you know, this kind of supernatural thing that's going to drive people crazy. You know, it's kind of like the way maybe something like, um, like The Ring or whatever. You know, it's like this crazy supernatural VHS tape. And it's like, imagine, like, they, they sort of applied that to a reel of film. And, and it's the same idea, you know, anybody who watches the film, like, some some spooky-dooky, you know, devilish weird shit is going to go down if you actually sit through this film. It drives people so mad, and they all turn to violence, and, you know, the, the, some, some horrific, terrible shit is going to go down for anybody who who watches the film. And then something the Wikipedia doesn't go into too much, the synopsis, is the whole thing about the title, The Cigarette Burns, and how basically those are used to sort of earmark the change in film reels. And that's something only like a film nerd geek would know about. And and the script is written by guys who mostly, I mean, they, they have credits as actors, they have credits as writers, but mostly, like, you'll see if you go to IMDb for, for the guys who wrote the screenplay for this, like a lot of the stuff they ended up working on was in documentary stuff. And, and a lot of it had to do with, with Hollywood films and everything. Like these are the guys who made Jodorowsky's Dune, you know, and like, and like the kind of wacky filmmaker that guy is like, it seems like possibly there's some, you know, obviously he's not, you know, satanic or, or, you know, you know, if you watch, Jodorowsky's films, you're not going to go run around and like bite people's necks or do crazy shit and cut yourself and stab your eyes out or anything like that. But I mean, he, he was kind of widely viewed as, as kind of this weird avant-garde kind of, you know, crazy filmmaker. So, so I could see that being some kind of influence for, for the guys who wrote the screenplay for this. Really meta. It's like kind of meta how the story is told. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely is. I mean, there, there's there's that aspect to it where, you know, obviously it's written by kind of film geeks, film fanatics, that kind of stuff. So the, the detail of that, like, I, I think that's part of why it speaks to me, because unlike like somebody from Hollywood writing about a hospital drama when they've never set foot in the fucking hospital unless they're dying or somebody has a cold. You know, like th this is something yeah. where the, these guys probably knew this in and out. You know, they probably did work at art house films. They probably they're probably one of them was a guy who who collected the cigarette burns and cut them out of the film reel and made a little binder like the guy who plays Toy Man from Smallville was doing in this piece. <laughs> you know, like yeah. so. So like that aspect to it. I mean, it. you know, obviously the supernatural stuff. I think, you know, John Carpenter really sells all that stuff and it's kind of grounded like it doesn't it, nothing super outlandish or outrageous happens in terms of there's not any crazy CGI. There's not any, you know, you know, Jurassic yeah. Park dinosaur walking in the background or anything. And, and a lot of it, I mean, although you see a lot of stuff, it's such quick flashes of his wife's suicide, the daughter to to the the father and everything that happens very quickly so i think like a lot of that is still left up to the imagination like what exactly is on the film and and what it drove people to do so there, there's that fear of the unknown that you know kind of what we were talking about in the night gallery stuff that you don't see the zombie so it's like less is more type 
scenario. And I think, I think he plays the edge on that. I mean, you are shown a lot of stuff, but at the same time, there's, there's a lot of mystery leading up to that. So I, I think he plays the, you know, he kind of walks the tightrope with that kind of stuff. But I mean, I, I think this still holds up from my perspective. But again, like I said, I'm, I'm always curious what people's interpretation and take on this this short piece is like whether they think it's as freaky deaky as I do or whether you're just like kind of, Oh, this fucking bullshit. It wasn't that cool. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Like uh, I'm, I'm curious what Mike thinks of it, you know, specifically. Well, I thought like sort of like Tony said, like the meta messages and stuff like that. And what, what you said about the critic talking about like, you know, directors and filmmakers, but that was all kind of interesting. As far as scary goes, though, maybe I'm just, like, desensitized to this kind of movie, or this kind of, like, like excessive gore or whatever, but I actually wasn't very, like, freaked out by it. Like, like maybe a couple, like, there, there were a couple, like, jump scares, like, when the circles started appearing, but, like, other than that, like, I, I don't know, like, the gore was kind of, I don't know, over the top to me, maybe? Yeah, I, I think that's sort of the point of some of these, like, especially the the directors and people that they were tracking down, you, you'd think like it would be kind of, I, I think most of these were explicitly gory. Whereas, you know, maybe I don't know how to explain that other than, you know, it, it, it's not as subtle, I suppose, you know, the, the, the kind of gore, like, like in other words, where that scene where they're doing like the snuff film and the guy comes out in his weird leather bullshit and he actually like lops the poor girl's head off and everything like that's straight up gore. Like there's no, no, nothing was left to the imagination in that scene. Yeah, know? and they didn't, and they didn't even show like all of it. Like he like does a really deep cut into her throat, and she's pretty much dead, even though she's like. Ah, 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 ah. And I was like, "Well, you want to be a taxi driver?" They <laughs> <laughs> knew what they were signing up for. <laughs> and he just kind of goes to chopping her head off, which they don't show all of it. They just show him whacking at her, like you know, stomp. And then they show like you know him finally getting the last bit off and like, you know, there's the headless corpse and he's holding the head in their, his hands. And it was really weird. Cause like when he did the first chop, I was like, Oh, that was like, pretty nasty. But as he finished the job, I, I don't know, I guess I'm like, Mike, I was just like, Oh yeah. And then you know, finish what you start. You know, I'm not giving you, you know, credit. Yeah. I, I, I think Rita's reaction to it though is genuine, you know, like he's genuinely yeah, yeah. horrified. He did a really good job. So, I mean, he, he, I, I think he sells the whole thing, like, because, I mean, conceivably, like, this could be, like, some of those characters we talked about in Night Gallery where you wouldn't feel any sympathy because he's a douchebag. I mean, essentially, he, he meets this girl, he gets her hung up on heroin, and then, you know, they're both really strung out. He kind of blackmails the dad for startup money for his little art house film festival, and then she ends up slitting her wrists in the bathtub because she's so conceivably unhappy between, you know, the, the relationship between her husband and her father, because she obviously loves them both. And she's obviously strung out and she's got a drug habit and problems. And he, as her husband, is an enabler. So, I mean, on the outset, you know, speaking of it like that, I mean, he's not exactly a good person per se, but I think. Rita's does a good job of making you feel like he's genuinely remorseful and that he wishes he could have done things differently, but it's just kind of the way shit went down, you know, like, and there's nothing he can do to essentially change it. 
but that's kind of why he's he's so driven to to find this film because every time one of those cigarette burns pops up it's like you know basically instead of the actual cigarette burn being in a film reel it's like this kind of meta thing where you see the cigarette burn on the screen done in a little CGI flame and inevitably I guess depending on what your past demons are in his case you know it's seeing the image of his wife you know slit her wrists and 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 kind of suffering basically you know because she basically committed suicide so if you're if you're coming to it from the perspective that angels are real and and as you know I am you know being raised catholic you know like suicide being a mortal sin it's like it's not like she got sent to heaven and everything was like roses and flowers it's obviously like that you know she had a hard tough life and she dealt with substance abuse and, and it wasn't like a good life. And then she went on to die and it's not like she's at rest, you know, she's obviously still continuing to suffer, you know? So it's like, I think that is part of that guilt that weighs on him that sort of drives him to sort of finish doing what, what he started. The far absolute demand, the absolute end of the world. The government seized it and destroyed it. I'm a bit obsessive. I want you to find a print for me. We are a part of the film. If it had been destroyed, we would know. Bakovic said film in the right hands is a weapon. Well, you spoke to Bakovic? At the start of the festival. I recorded the whole interview. These will change your life. Last night I saw something I can't... Circle? Huh? Like the real change in the movie? Yeah. Then it started. It's only going to get worse from you. What started? What's happening to me? Are you my sweet man, Kirby? As soon as you start getting close to it... It gets inside you. Tell me where the film is. That's not what you want to know. You want to know if the stories about the film are true. I know what you want. You want to see the movie. Relax. Something happens when you point the camera at something terrible. The resulting film takes on power. I will say it though that the actress, she doesn't do a bad job. But considering her screen time in this movie, I'm going with they didn't pick her just because of her acting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, she's she's not a bad looking lady, and of course, it's one of those things where you know you you got to sign the nudity clause in this. But it's not like again, it's kind of like Game of Thrones when we talk. Oh yeah, about it's not that appealing. Film. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not like one of those things where you're like, yeah, you're covered in blood, baby. I want to get with you. You know, it's more like oh you kind of feel bad for this girl because she's either, you know, slitting her wrist in the bathtub or she's popping out of the film screen, you know, driving her father crazy and, and, and covered in blood from head to toe, you know? So it's not like it's anything super appealing. Like even when, you know, it's funny that she, she's an attractive lady, but I think it's one of those things where she really sells the fact that, you know, the, the way they do her up in the makeup that she's like strung out and you can tell she's a junkie. Oh, you, know? Yeah. Like you, you can tell she's a, she's a hard substance abuser and you know even him like you know especially in that scene where they have the flashback where he's first 
sort of trying to set up the deal to, you know, come on, daddy, like give him the money and we'll, he knows a whole bunch about films. Like this will be great, you know, and everything. And it's like, go wait in the I, car, honey. You know, I, I like Norman Reedus. I think he's a, he's a fine actor and I'm not saying this as like a, a slam or an insult, but this is just personal observation. He always does have that kind of look like he just came off some really heavy shit. Yeah. Or at least <laughs> he's got those beady eyes. Well, that, that, I think that's part of it too, is like, he, he seems like a character, you know? And yeah. like, like that's that's kind of the to his advantage in this as well, because because he it's like you you can kind of see things from his perspective, but he's also kind of a shady character at the same time. So it's like they again they they kind of walk that tightrope of you know I, I I didn't hate the guy, but it's not like I want to like go to the dude's art gallery film house and become his best friend either. You know, like it, it's kind of like yeah. some, somewhere in between that. You know. Kirby's a great character to play. Um, he's got a, a bit of a backstory. He's um, <clears throat> his girlfriend has died uh, in a drug overdose, and he um, uh, f- has an incredible amount of guilt about that because he was the one that introduced her to drugs. And her father actually, as a wedding present, uh, bought a theater that is the theater that I'm now running. So I'm trying to make money to pay off of her, pay off her father, because he's a big jerk. And uh, yeah, by finding this film, Bellinger's gonna give me money that I can get this guy out of my life. I mean, I, I guess like as far as like impact, it, it really did like have some moments where like, and I, I hope I don't sound like a pretentious twat, but I probably will. It really seemed like you know Carpenter was kind of the way he was directing it. It was kind of like a love letter to the movie because he like did like a lot of quick edits at that one. There's like that one scene where like not only is it edited quickly when he's walking around like the hotel room, but he also like edits where like the same frame happens twice. Did you notice that, Derek? Yeah. Yeah, like he'll be packing his bags, and then he's packing his bag again, and then he's like you know picking up the phone, picking up the phone again, and I, I kind of like that stuff. I'm not a film school guy. I I don't have your experience, Derek. But I, th- I think if you are just a, a reasonably intelligent individual, I mean, if you just, like, have half of a brain and you pay attention, you you kind of get sucked into that film school kind of world, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's kind of why I enjoyed that aspect of it, because there is – it seems like there's a little more truth to it. It's like filmmaker and a screenwriter kind of writing about things that he actually knows about, so there's – there's, I don't know, to me, it seems like there's some level of authenticity to it, even though it's, it's set, it's kind of like the underlining world has some authenticity to it. I mean, and then, and then, you know, obviously there's lots of sort of spooky dooky supernatural stuff. And, and I imagine, you know, maybe, you know, the actual screenwriters don't know too much about snuff films. So who the hell knows if that's accurate or not, but it seemed pretty horrific. You know, the guy filming, the girl getting her head chopped off and all that kind of spooky, crappy stuff that goes down. And it's like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's that weird argument where he's like, you know, that that's the guy who reveals to him that, it, like, for sure, you know, according to the wiki, this is for sure when he knows it's an angel, you know, because yeah. he sort of says, oh, the power that it imbues in film. It's like, look what I just did. I chopped off this girl's head. I've captured it on film. And now that film has some kind of special power to it because you know she's obviously her soul was tortured and she was murdered and now it's been captured on film you know and and i guess uh, you know they sort of 
translate that to this is what happens when an angel gets murdered on film and, and the other angel yeah. got its wings torn off. So, Well, I mean, they, they repeat the line at least two or three times in the movie. They're like, you know, in the right hands, a filmmaker can use film as a weapon, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I guess if you if you pay really close attention to it, you know, then you're kind of like, well, that's true. You know, like, obviously, you can you can spin a, a news story any way you want to on film. Right. Like you, you just yeah. have to have the right photos and the right cuts and, you know, just kind of spin it however you want. And so, you know, in that sense, you know, I mean, obviously, it's not the same thing as a film, but I mean, the, the same logic would then apply. So, yeah. I think my only nitpicky thing, and this is really nitpicky, I guess because we've been doing a podcast so long, I, I pick up when things are repeated over and over and over again. And man, they say that film's title over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, wow. <laughs> What's the name of that movie again? I don't even. I, I don't remember the. I don't remember the 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 French pronunciation, but I know it's the absolute end of the world. But yeah, yeah, they're they're always like La fin absolue de monde. <laughs> the thing, the thing that was always making me laugh was like, I don't know, like he keeps like Norman Reedus's character, like Kirby, he keeps like seeing like this horrific shit, and like people keep saying like, you know, don't watch this film, like it's awful, and like it murdered all these people, but he's still kind of like, so I want to see the film, like he's <laughs> like, you know, it's like do not watch this film, it'll ruin your life and send your soul to hell, and and he's just like, yeah, yeah, so can I see the film, like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I I don't know. To me, I I I'll play devil's advocate and defend something that that I like. But I mean, to me, I I figured it was pretty clearly explained what his motivations were. I mean, it seemed like the motivations. He's got the motivation to collect the two hundred thousand dollars to get the dad off his back, and and it's not just a matter of paying off a debt. It's the matter of he's guilt ridden over you know his wife's death. And she committed suicide. And every time that guy shows up to collect the money, it's like seeing his wife die all over again, you know, in the bathtub. So it's like if you had that image stuck in your head and it's like somebody's telling you, oh, well, by the way, if you watch this film, some really bad shit's going to happen. Well, his attitude is, guess what? I'm dealing with bad shit every fucking day and I want it to go away. Like and that, that's kind of how he starts out. And I think by the time he gets so deep into it, like when he's talking to the director's wife who had her throat slashed and you could see all the you know scars and everything and you know i i get what you're saying she's saying like don't look at it but it's funny by the time he gets to her she's almost like well you know what you haven't even seen the film but it's already had an effect on you so she's all like it's too late now you might as well take the fucking film you know what i mean like yeah. it's like it's like that weird trippy thing where it's like you know, it's an interesting acknowledgement. It's like a film can have an impact on you even if you haven't seen it. Like, and, and I think there's some truth to that. It's like, it's like, you know, all these guys, like, we all love Star Wars, right? But it's like, I'm sure there's people out there who have barely seen Star Wars or have never seen Star Wars, but yet maybe they get dragged to fucking Toys R Us in the middle of the night on Force Friday. And it's like, that's like kind of stupid and mundane but i'm just i'm just trying to shoot for like an example of where something like that would happen and it's like that that's on kind of like more of a spooky level in this but but the same logic would apply too, where you're basically affected by a film that you haven't even seen yeah like i mean like like michael bay movies 
if you see one, more than likely when you hear another one's coming out that he's making, like it affects you because you're like, I don't want to see that fucking shit. Oh, he's such a horrible person. Even if you haven't seen the movie, it could be great, but he, he just has that aura about him that, like, you know, you're like, oh, another Bay movie, yay. And you don't even, get, you don't even have to see the movie. So yeah, I guess it's kind of like that, you know? I'm I'm curious, too. Like, are you guys fans at all of John Carpenter's work, like, previous to this piece at all like i mean i i i don't i don't know if we have to go into it at all but you know like it's like halloween and you know escape from new york and you know all that kind of good stuff so i I was just thinking like if there's anybody if that means less or more to you know it's like to to you as a viewer i really Um, i'm a pretty strong feelings about him one way or the other I mean, okay. I like Escape from New York, and I, you know, I've seen a couple of the Halloween movies, but no, I mean, um, I, I, yeah, I don't really have any strong feelings one way or the other. Um, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of They Live, and that's just a great cult movie. It, it's, it's such a big cult movie. It's become kind of mainstream. Like it's, it's kind of like the Evil Dead. How the Evil Dead was kind of a cult film, and now everybody's like, oh yeah, They Live, the like 15 minute fight between Roddy Piper and you know, um, that guy, I forgot his name. Keith David. Um, Keith David, yeah. I knew he was famous for his voice, I just couldn't think of his name. But yeah, the 15 minute fight between them and like seeing people with the sunglasses and their alien stuff, yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, I think Carpenter is a good director. I'm not going to say I'm like a huge fan, like I follow all of his work, but he's definitely made some movies I, I, I enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's. There's something to be said for for his body of work, and then you know, for for me, I mean, I I guess I guess to me, he earned that title. It's not like it's not like somebody was just like, oh, Masters of Horror, and they just put in some you know hotshot new director who directed like you know a Chucky movie or something, and then that's it, you know. But it's like <laughs> I, 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 Masters I, of Horror, UA Bowl, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah, exactly. Like I I, I feel like at least that that you know and and it's not to be disparaging to some of the other folks like some some of the other folks who did episodes in that first season are you know have made some quality horror pictures but i don't know i i think it got you know some of those other episodes just didn't speak to me the same way this did you know that some of the other episodes got really preachy or i just you know kind of like mike was describing like some of the other episodes i was kind of indifferent to maybe you know or or you know i just not the same fan of say John Landis that I am of John Carpenter or something like that, you know? So, I mean, you know, I, I guess I just wanted to share that. I, I, I always find it interesting because I think, I, I, I think the conclusion I always come to is, you know, I, I've shown this to other friends. I've shown this to like family members and stuff like that. And, you know, I guess I do tend to oversell it because I, I, my ultimate conclusion is I was super feverish at the time I watched this. So I guess in the final analysis, I'm like, if you are bedridden with a high fever and you're <laughs> seeing shit and you watch this and you're Catholic, then it'll be super fucking awesome. But otherwise it's like you, your, your, your mileage may vary, you know? So just, just that's, that's my addendum and, and sort of final thought on it. Also, if you're one of the millions of females who, whose panties get moist just thinking about Norman Reedus. He is in this, so yeah, you'll probably like that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you brought up, you know, because, I mean, obviously now he is is 
his mega stardom fame is coming from the Walking Dead TV series. But we, we sort of briefly talked about this before we started the show that, you know, obviously this was in 2005, long before that TV series was a, a blip in anybody's mind, much less probably the comic book or whatever. And so, you know, you're like, well, he's he's been in other films you know he's been a working actor for a long time and this was probably one of the earliest things besides like maybe the boondock saints where i was like oh he's he's kind of the you know he's basically the star of this you know like and i I don't i don't think you know like you know mike brought up like blade 2 you know it's not like he was the star of blade 2 you know so yeah yeah but yeah like it it is interesting to see that because i watched the whole episode and then like at the end i didn't know when this series came out because i didn't really follow it and it was like, you know, copyright 2005. I'm like, oh, wow, this is very pre-Walking Dead. This is like, yeah, like you said, the, the comic had probably only been out for like a year at this point. So, You know, what people might not know is that a buddy of his, we call at the, the movie theater, he went on to find Rorschach's journal. He, he did. He did. He also, I think he actually worked on that script, too, as well. Even though... <laughs> I think he's also... I think he's also known as that guy who people walk to walk up to on the street and go, "Hey, weren't you in Lost?" <laughs> he's like, "No, I was the toy man on Smallville." God damn it! <laughs> no, I I like him. He he was a great toy man. I mean, I think he's a great character actor as well. I I, I think a lot of the character actors in this are really good. Like I I, I feel bad for like like th- this was something conversations like being an actor that I would have with friends like Udo Kier. He's the guy who plays Mr. Bellinger. You know, he always plays the weird, creepy bug eyed foreign guy in like every movie he's ever <laughs> been in. Right. But it's like, if you read like interviews with him, like, or, or see interviews with him, he's a nice guy. You know, he's just like a happy dude. He's got a wife and kid and, 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 and he's probably like the sweetest guy ever, but they always cast him as either a bad guy or a creepy guy or whatever. And it was like he one of those things where, yeah. And, and, and basically he's typecast, you know, and, and, and it's just one of those unfortunate things where, you know, I, I think, you know, certain categories of actors you know could sit down and commiserate over that going oh i'd really like to play a uh you know a wacky romantic comedy one day but it's like poor you know udo kier is never going to be in a wacky romantic comedy you know what i mean like it's yeah. just not going to fucking happen <laughs> not, not as not, the lead anyway. yeah. you know you know so so yeah yeah he, he might be the bug-eyed guy trying to keep the the lead guy away from the girl but he's never going to be that guy that's like going to you know, fall in love with some, you know, girl and then give her flowers or anything. I guess this fits in, like, with you talking about him. Two things, like, one, like, kind of bugged me at first, and then, like, it seemed like he fixed it. Like, in the first part of the movie, first part of the uh, episode, I thought he was calling Sweetman Speedman. I was like, did he say Speedman? I don't know why, it just kind of bugged me. And then at the end of the movie, it seems like a movie. I know it's an episode of a TV show, but it was really filmed like a movie almost. He confronts him in the film room. Kirby does, and he's behind the projector and stuff, and just with his facial expressions and the kind of squishy noises, at first I was like, is he fucking that movie? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I was obviously more disturbed than that, so I, I knew something was, was amiss, but again, you, you, you don't know until like he sort of walks around and then you see that he's, he's actually feeding his intestines into the film reel, and it's just like even now, that kind of, I mean, I know you guys said you were kind of unaffected by most of the stuff, but for me, that still kind of makes my stomach feel a little queasy, like, where you're like, oh, what if, like, 
uh, you know, you were compelled to do that. You're just like, and I sit there and I kind of go, maybe it's just not the sort of thing I'm like frightened or unsettled by. Like, yeah, I don't know that it's frightening, but, but I'm certainly, I'll, I'll admit that that's unsettling to me. Certainly. Yeah. It's unsettling, but it's not like, like the, the, the night gallery episode we watched, like, after I watched that, like I was like that night, I was afraid to like look out the window. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to see something. But like this, like I'm not going to have any trouble sleeping over this. Basically, you thought you thought uh, you get a knock on the door, be a portafore. Yes. <laughs> Go back in the ground. Go back in the ground. Go back in the ground um, where you belong. <laughs> I, I will say one thing though. I will give like this is how you know Carpenter is a really good director, and he's this is his wheelhouse. At least the guy's guts looked really good, uh, opposed to the sheriff and screen TV show where it just looked like a a bunch of inner tubes with blood a bunch on them. Of so. Shit they put in a fat suit. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that, 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 this definitely looked much more realistic. Yeah. So I'll give, I'll give you know, that, that Carpenter is a very good has a good eye for gore and detail. So I'll give him that. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't think we need to dwell on it any further. I mean, I kind of got the answers I wanted to get out of you guys regarding Cigarette Burns, the Masters of Horror episode. I, I think we'll put a cap on this, and then what we'll do is we'll take a quick break, and we'll play a trailer from another excellent podcast. And then when we come back, we are going to be talking about Marvel Comics, The Supernaturals! Do you want to hear the origin of Superman or Batman? Of course not. You're listening to a geek culture podcast. You know the origins of Superman and Batman. You've always known them. Your unborn grandchildren know the origins of Superman and Batman. But what about Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, or the Phantom Stranger? What about Firestorm, Sandman, or the Golden Age Fury? Those are just a few of the stories covered in the Secret Origins Podcast, a review show dedicated to the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the 1980s. Each episode of the Secret Origins Podcast features me, Ryan Daly, and an all-star collection of guest hosts revealing or revisiting the legends of the DC superheroes and villains. And if you're already sick of hearing my voice on this promo, the good news is at least 50% of the talking on the Secret Origins podcast is done by a terrific guest from the podcast and blogging community. So check out the Secret Origins podcast, available on iTunes and at secretoriginspodcast.wordpress.com. Okay, welcome back, guys. So we are back to discuss the Marvel Comics series, The Supernaturals. This was released in 1998, the tail end of the 90s. It actually came from the crazy mind of Brian Polito, who people would probably know best as the founder and figurehead for Chaos Comics. And I was kind of telling Mike that this is this is kind of tantamount to, in a weird sort of way, when Heroes Reborn came along and they yeah. basically handed over the reins to a lot of the Marvel characters to Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld. Or I guess you could look at it as kind of a precursor to Marvel Knights when they handed over you know, Daredevil and a certain batch of characters to Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palabonte. Um, but yeah, yeah this Jim, is... Jim Lee on Hush, anything like that, yeah. But, um, 
Well, I mean, you know, the, the, by that point, Jim Lee was working for DC, but I mean, this is this is more like they're loaning out their characters almost in a weird way yeah, to like another another studio. But the, the Supernaturals, it's a four issue miniseries. The reason why I ended up discovering it long after it had come out was I'm I'm a big fan of Ghost Rider and. There was a point where I was like, I've read everything that Ghost Rider's ever been in. And then one day I was kind of going through a list of Ghost Rider appearances and I stumbled across this thing called the Supernaturals. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, I was like, I've never heard of this. Like, what is this? And it had always been on my to read list. And I sort of set it aside. And when it came time to do this Fanholes Fright Fest for Halloween, I kind of said to the guys, hey, do you guys want to read this story about a group of superheroes, but basically they're all supernatural superheroes? And so it's a team, and it's a team led by Brother Voodoo, and it features the Black Cat, Ghost Rider, Satana, Gargoyle, and Werewolf by Night. And the covers are done by Jim Ballant, who is basically well-known for his cheesecake in the 90s. He probably did a lot of purgatory for Chaos Comics probably at the time, and that's probably where they snagged him from. And then he went on to do, like, Catwoman and all kinds of good stuff like that. And then, basically, this is something I'm kind of torn by, but, you know, Brian Polito and and Mark Andreco were credited as the writers. But the main penciler is actually Ivan Reese. And I think I'm most familiar with Ivan Reese from Aquaman, basically, like the new 52 Aquaman. And then he went on to do Justice League for the new 52. And, you know, there, obviously, he's come a long way since then. But this is like some of his early groundbreaking work, probably, you know, where he was trying to cut his teeth and and learn the ropes and everything. But it's kind of interesting to see the interior pencils because it's like some of the storytelling isn't quite up to the level that we've all come to know and, and, and love it on things like Aquaman or the justice league and stuff like that. I mean, in there it's like very Neil Adams inspired. And, and I, I think he's obviously like, you know, now at the top of his game, whereas here it's kind of like the, you can see, you can see touches of it, but you know, I, I'm imagining that there's probably some, you know, kind of chaos comics ish direction and, in how these characters were drawn. Uh, to me, like it seemed like, it might just been my eyes, but his style at this point, it seemed really Ron Lynnish, kind of like the stuff he was doing in Silver Surfer and X-Men 2099. Hmm, okay, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he lists a number of influences. I don't know if Ron Lim is one of those. You know, the thing I found interesting was it seems like he's been working in comics since he was like a little kid almost. He reminded me of like when I would hear like stories about Jim Shooter when he was like 15 writing like Legion of Superhero stories for DC Comics or whatever. And then when I was looking up his his little profile, it's like he's been working in comics since he was 12. You know, and you're like, Jesus, like, uh, you know, I'm I'm like, you know, if, if we could only all be so lucky as to be working in comics since we were of a young age, you know, and then get really, really great at it. And, you know, so that that was kind of my my take on that. I was like, that's awesome for him. But I was like, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> I've, I've wasted my life. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was more like, no, you know, I know, I know. well, I, I was thinking like, oh, he must he must be pretty well connected to, to get jobs at like 12 or whatever. So, yeah, was, that's that's, you know, that's cool. I guess like I, I mean, I, I, this is this is kind of your 
prototypical end of the 90s comic. It begins with an event called the Chaos Event, which I'm sure is no small coincidence that it's done by a team of guys that come from Chaos Comics. But it's kind of like an alternate universe or a what if where it kind of springboards off whatever the current Marvel continuity was at the time. So you'd imagine the 616 universe went on like it did up until this point where certain divergences happen. And it seems like one of the divergences in this universe is that you have Jericho Drum as a young kid who grows up to be Brother Voodoo and his brother Daniel, and I guess they lost their mother. So it's funny, what I immediately thought of, and I don't know if you thought of this too, Mike, but it kind of reminded me of the beginning of like, or, or the origin, I guess you'd say, of Full Metal Alchemist, where, you know, they were trying to bring back their yeah. mother from the dead that, and everything. That did occur to me, yeah. You know, and, and, and so they're doing all these kind of like supernatural pentagrams and all this kind of stuff. And I was wondering, like, I'm all, oh, I wonder if his brother turns into a big metal dude and gets encased in a suit, you know, or whatever. Of course, that doesn't happen. But I guess the price of them using this spell to try and bring back their mother is not only does Jericho Drum, who goes on to be Brother Voodoo, find that his brother has passed because of this. It's the the event basically wipes out all the non-magic powered heroes in the universe. So I guess now these these creators have a clean slate. Like they don't have to worry about Wolverine and the Avengers and Spider-Man and the X-Men and all this other kind of stuff, the Hulk. It's like basically all those characters are sacrificed in this chaos event. So you're only left with, like, the magic characters. There is also one other big thing, too. Just like Edward in Full Metal Alchemist gets, like, a metal arm and has become really adept at using alchemy, Brother Voodoo also gets the ability to produce mad sick beats. <laughs> well, <laughs> then, let's, let's, let's talk about that for a minute, because one thing we said we'd do is there, there is a sort of ash can preview to this four-issue miniseries, and... I think because Brian Polito comes from, again, a Hollywood film background, there are these write-ups, these character write-ups that basically read like actor breakdowns. And I think we all agreed that it'd be kind of funny to read some of these for you guys because they are kind of hilarious. So given that, that Tony's already revealed what a, a mad fat beat rapper Jericho drum is in this universe. <laughs> I, I figure we can, we can read this and, and get some kicks out of it. So Jericho drum also known as brother voodoo leads a double life to the world at large. He is a vastly successful beloved 22 year old R and B slash hip hop singer and mega producer unknown to all. He is also brother voodoo a heroic voodoo mystic based in the New York City area. His headquarters is a revamped YMCA. Jericho <laughs> lost his only living relative, his brother Daniel, in the chaos exclamation mark event, and since has been obsessed with solving the mystery of his disappearance and of the chaos exclamation mark event itself. So I and we'll read some more of these as we as we talk more about the the stories and everything. But I I just wanted to kind of read some of them because they are pretty hilarious. And you you know what's funny though too is uh, and I think I've discussed this on the show before that I I don't hate Brother Voodoo. 
But my <laughs> first exposure to Brother Voodoo was in all these Fred Hembeck joke strips, these these funny strips, and he was oh, yeah, always, yeah, yeah. he was always 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 the butt of Fred Hembeck's jokes. So. Yeah. I've never been able to take the character seriously. It doesn't have anything to do with his background. doesn't have anything to do with his race. It just has to do with how I was introduced to the character. He was the butt of Fred Hembeck's jokes. And I don't think every time I see Brother Voodoo, I see that little Fred Hembeck kind of, you know, round-eyed kind of comic strip character goofball. And, And I just can't take the character seriously. It's like he was a mort in the Fred Hembeck strip, and I can't help but think of them as a mort in whatever comics I see. That's only uh, for term, though, because like, in all these comic strips, it'd be like, we've assembled the most powerful heroes in the universe. Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, and Brother Voodoo, what? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and having said all that, even though this is the 90s like schlock fest that it is, I have to admit, this is the coolest that Brother Voodoo has ever been, <laughs> ever. <laughs> like, I mean, he's got a cape, he looks like fucking Spawn, and Chapel had, like, a baby, and they were <laughs> badass, and, like, you know, and, and, and you know, putting rest to the the truth that Bendis never has had an original idea in all his, like, 20 years in comic books. Brother Voodoo actually goes to Doctor Strange's home because it looks like there's going to be a second chaos event in the the terms of this story. And he finds that Doctor Strange is missing, along with, like, Doctor Druid and some of the other big magic players as well. So he's basically the last vestiges Not Doctor Druid, no! Well, it's like, dude, it's like he's... Brother Voodoo is, like, the last big magic guy... And my point is, he gets to use the Eye of Agamotto. So anybody who's like, oh, isn't Brian Michael Bendis original and progressive for having Brother Voodoo use the Eye of Agamotto? (laughs) No, it was in this little-known 1998 miniseries from Chaos Comics that nobody's ever read before, and it was done there first. So anyway, I I just find that kind of fascinating, and and the fact that like I'm kind of surprised as much as anybody at how... Hizzy, shizzy, nizzle, hip hoppy cool <laughs> brother voodoo is in this, and he actually is like I, I mean, a, a, as slickster as they make it, it's like he he is, you know, it, it's kind of like what were you joking about, Tony? Where you're saying he's like Quincy Jones and like you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like he's he's like Quincy like Jones, Quincy Jones and Will Smith and like... Will Smith all like rolled into one dude, and he does like magic, and he's Harry Potter, you know, like it's like he's he's like all of those things. Like, and super mega popular and stuff. And and he's essentially, I mean, he is the leader of this group of of, of supernatural sort of, I, I don't know if I'd call them heroes, but this collection of supernatural guys that, that he puts together to, to fight this this chaos event. Exclamation point. <laughs> Ex- chaos um, exclamation point, yeah. I, I will say this. I'm usually not a fan of de-aging characters. I, well, Keen Tony, like in the comics, that was stupid. And, you know, sometimes it gets on my nerves. However, like, Brother Voodoo, in my eyes, whenever I saw him pop up, I remember he popped up in Moon Knight a couple of times. He was like 45 or 50, like, in the comics. So that's what he came off anyway. He came off as a very older person. And honestly, I think de-aging him a little bit, making him in, like, his early, mid-20s, 
Yeah, I agree with you. It kind of worked. I think it, I think it was a smart move. What was? Uh, did, do you have any opinions on Brother Voodoo, Mike? I know I know you weren't exactly this this comic's biggest proponent or fan, but I'm just kind of curious what your take on it is before maybe we move on to talking about some of the other cast of characters. No, I mean I pretty much feel the same as you. I've always thought he was a silly ass character, and I don't. <laughs> this didn't this didn't really affect that. <laughs> you're you're like it didn't change the thing. Not at all. Yeah, not really. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, how about this? Like, I'm going to go into another character that we get introduced to, and this is a longtime supernatural Marvel character from the 70s. This is Jack Russell, werewolf by night. So, again, we're talking about how characters are being dis, uh, de-aged and, and uh, being uh, sort of re reimagined as young, hip, and cool. So here comes Jack Russell's young, hip, and cool actor write-up if somebody was going to go audition for Werewolf by Night. Jack Russell, also known as Werewolf by Night, is an edgy 18-year-old with a heart. He absolutely loves his life as a werewolf and makes no apologies for it. A child of the senses... He lives life to the hilt. He is a 10th degree black belt, and his <laughs> idol is Bruce Lee. He loves Quentin Tarantino movies and nightclubbing. <laughs> of course he does. Sorry, he but does. One, one more line. Prefers edge music like Metallica. <laughs> and then one more, one more detests his human persona. So like yeah, okay. So this is this is Werewolf by Night. And like they, they open where he's like training in some kind of dojo or whatever. And I think some guy compares him like the moves he's doing to Steven Seagal and then he like unloads on the guy and says, What? That fat tubby piece of shit? I like Bruce Lee <laughs> Which, you know what? I, I have to agree with him. Like I like yeah, him yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still kind of funny to me that it's like, he's edgy, he's 18, and he likes Bruce Lee and Metallica and Quentin Tarantino movies. <laughs> I like you know, he's a 10th degree black belt at age. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... so. My, my favorite thing is that he, is he has a heart. It's like, hey, I have a heart. And everybody's like, yeah, everybody does. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he's a werewolf with a heart, so maybe there's some kind yeah. of discrepancy there. Because maybe the other werewolves, you know, they all rip people's guts open, but he's got a heart or something. I, yeah, I, 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 I I'm not going to try to describe the story in, in somewhat of a linear fashion, but since we're talking about Werewolf by Night, I, I would just point out that if someone is a fan of Werewolf by Night, it's like he gets de-aged, he kind of gets, like, punked in that arena, and then he goes on to basically, he, he runs into the main villain of the piece, who they called jack-o'-lantern and at that point it seems like he kind of just gets like mind zonked or something like he, he really he gets hawk-eyed yeah he basically gets hawk-eyed yeah like in the beginning of avengers or whatever like he's kind of mind controlled for the most part so so i guess all i'm saying is if you're if you're a big fan of werewolf by night like don't don't expect him to have a big major role per se, where he's not running around mind zonked for the majority of the four issues. And, and that, I mean, that's my, that, that's basically, I mean, besides that whole initial gut reaction that if you were used to 
you know, Jack Russell in the 70s. Now, all of a sudden, like, he's a hip kid and he likes Quentin Tarantino. You know, it's like, okay, well, yeah. He's also our reference guy. He likes to make a lot of current references. Yeah, yeah. He seems to be the pop culture guy, per se, of, of, of the group. And and even when he shows up again, it's weird because it's like he's the one who, like, it's it's almost totally obvious where it's like Brother Voodoo's collected this whole collection of of heroes to to make into a team or or supernatural guys to make into a team and it's like werewolf by night just kind of randomly shows up and it's like i was trying to totally contact you werewolf by night and he's like don't worry bro i got the message but i was just a little late being hypnotized by the (laughs) villain of the main book you know or whatever and it's like oh okay bro like we won't totally suspect that it's strange that you showed up way after the fact at all you know and then of course when he like you know turns on them or whatever and he's like basically he he's at the the heel of of jack-o'-lantern the main villain you know uh, you know basically a dog at his side you know then it's like I totally didn't see that coming, you know, and it's like, well, we all did, you know, like, it seemed yeah. pretty obvious as far as that goes. Yeah, it's like, don't mind me mysteriously showing up at this place that I didn't know that you were at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just kind of, wow, but. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Do you feel the same way about this as you do about Brother Voodoo? Like, you said the de-aging you thought worked for Brother Voodoo, Tony. Like, do you think him being this pop culture kid works for Werewolf by Night? Like, I mean, because essentially it's, it seems like he's like Teen Wolf or something, you know? Like, like he seems a little too too goofy yeah. for my taste. But but how did you take it, Tony? Yeah, actually, I, I kind of agree, because, like, Brother Voodoo was kind of not cool when he was older. So de-aging him did kind of make him cool. I read some of the old 70s Werewolf by Night because he, he, he was actually pretty popular back then. He guest starred in a lot of stuff. And like the monster books were really popular back in the 70s of Marvel. And I always thought Werewolf by Night was already kind of cool. This just kind of smacks of almost like trying too hard where it's like he's going to be edgy and hip and cool. Well, what about you, Mike? Do you have anything to add to, to our commentary on Werewolf by Night in the Supernaturals? No, I, I agree what you've said. What both of you have said, it's like he, it's the, he, he just seems like anyone who was a fan of him would probably not be a huge fan of how he's treated in this story. And I don't know. Yeah, like I, I said, like Tony said, I, I always thought he was kind of cool. So I mean, you know, I've always liked werewolves in, in terms of like the, you know the universal monsters. So I always thought he was he had an inherent cool factor. So, like, kind of glopping more coolness, forced, like, coolness with a K on is kind of, <laughs> like, just, you know, detracting from that, probably. Jack K-E-W-L Russell. <laughs> yeah, 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 I get it, yeah. I get it, it makes sense. So, I think I think we're going to move on to probably what would get the most fan rage out of me, because the reason why I was reading this was because of Ghost Rider. Now, at the time... <laughs> Well, just just to keep in mind the context, like at the time, Ghost Rider was Danny Ketch. And at the time, John Blaze was kind of like a grizzled, older, trench coat wearing cyborg, bikerific dude with stubble and all that stuff. So, so you know, just keep that context in mind, because because obviously that's where some of this comes from. And Ghost Rider is John Blaze. 
Hayes, also known as Ghost Rider, is an 18-year-old champion extreme sports professional. He rides in motocross, skateboarding, and snowboarding events. His entire life is dedicated to the extreme sports lifestyle. To get ahead, he made a deal with a demon and became possessed with a demon spirit. A true loner, John tries to sort his problems out on his own. The result? He gets deeper in debt with a demon. Banding together with the Supernaturals will help him deal with his Ghost Rider persona, which he tends to ignore, and use it as a force for good. So that's that's kind of the, the long and short of the John Blaze actor synopsis. He's kind of a douche. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> kind of disappointed. Like, he, he's, he, he's obviously de-aged as well, but it's it's almost like, uh, let me put it this way. When he first showed up in the, the series, he first shows up because, and, and we'll get into Satana's specifics later, but the, the character that is Satana is actually a model, and she's on a model shoot, and, you know, I guess, you know, selling, like, sports equipment and whatnot, and they're taking photos of her doing various stunts and things like that, but, of course, she's dressed up all nice and model-like. And who should roll by on his, like, BMX bike or whatever is this dude with long hair, this skinny little dude, who's like, hey, baby, what's up? Like, you'll totally dig me. And when I first read that page, I just thought he was, like, some throwaway character. Like, I thought he was some, I thought he was some douche that was at the model shoot that was like, hey, baby, I got a BMS bike. Want to, like, go out sometime? And Satana was like, later for you. I'm, like, sexy, and I'm too good for you, and I'm going to go join the Supernaturals and, like, fight chaos magic and stuff. And then, as I kept reading it... Exclamation point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Chaos, exclamation point, magic. And and as I kept reading it, it suddenly dawned on me that this douchey-douche skinny guy was John Blaze. And then I was like, but I thought he was supposed to be, like, an extreme, like... To me, John Blaze is a stunt motorcycle guy, but since he's an extreme sports guy, he shows up in like on a bike on a bicycle, and I was just like, "Ouch!" <laughs> like that. I don't know, man. It's just... Honestly, honestly, like I knew it was John Blaze. I don't know why. I just knew it was because intuition, I guess. And when I saw that panel of him on a fucking BMX bike, I was like, "I'm gonna give you a chance, comic, but right now, fuck you." I'm just saying, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, I I think. I think once he turns into the Ghost Rider, it, yeah, yeah. you know, the Ghost Rider, basically, it, it's like he looks like the old school John Blaze Ghost Rider, but he kind of acts like the Noble Kane, Danny Ketch Ghost Rider, I guess. Yeah, I, that, was, yeah. that, was, that was the impression I got. And, and it was kind of weird, because like in, in early Ghost Rider comics, it was sometimes like John Blaze was controlling the Ghost Rider, so he spoke like John Blaze when he was the Ghost Rider at times. And as the comic pro- progressed, the demon Zarathos took over more and more and more. So by the time, you know, by the tail end of the Ghost Rider comics, from like, you know, the 50s to the 80s, um, it, it was like, you know, basically when yeah. he turned into the Ghost Rider, it was the demon in, in the driver's seat. And here, yeah, there, it's, it's like, it's kind of very, you know, Zarathos was very like, you know, you'll eat hellfire. He was very barbaric. He wasn't like, you know, Noble Cain, like you said, yeah. 
here here it's kind of confused because it's like he kind of sounds like a noble Kane ghostwriter at points, but then they also kind of insinuate like he's still into Satana when he's in his ghostwriter mode too. So there's that aspect of John Blaze coming out. It, it, yeah. it seems to be written very muddled. Like they they didn't they didn't decide like is he John Blaze's ghostwriter or isn't he? And it's like when he is John Blaze, he sounds like such a douche. But when he's ghostwriter, he he sounds a little more. I, I don't know how to explain it, but he, he sounds a little more confident, a little more kind of not douchey. So when when he occasionally lapses into douche as Ghost Rider, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> you know, like like that that's the best way I could describe it. But I mean, you know, I'm I'm kind of a I, I would say I'm a I'm a mega fan of Ghost Rider. So I, I I think I'm probably super hypercritical and 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 you know mega harsh on you know extreme sports. I, I will. Plays. You know, or whatever. I will give him. I'll give him a little bit of credit, though. Even though I, I also am not a fan of this take on him. I, I like when I first started reading Johnny Blaze. It was actually during the catch run when he had the uh, Hellfire shotgun. Right. So I'm used to yeah, grizzled John Blaze with the long hair and the stubble and the sunglasses and all that. But I will say this about the comic: for better or for worse, he does pretty much come off like the Iron Man to Steve Rogers, Captain America. Like he seems like the second most important person on the team. Cause he, he's allowed to be his douchey self and he's allowed to like have a character arc and stuff like that. So at least Marvel and at least Brian Polito, like they're like, this is pretty much the biggest guy we have on our team. Ghost Rider is probably yeah. the most well known out of all of them. Yeah. Yeah. At the time he was probably the most popular. He was the biggest gun on that team in terms of popularity. So yeah, I would say that's true of of Ghost Rider. Well, I mean, there's like so many iterations of Ghost Rider. There's like, like you said, the Noble Kane. There's the was that the one who turned into no, no. The, then there was Vengeance. Who just right. that, well, that, well yeah. that was yeah that wasn't really Ghost Rider that was kind of like his Venom or whatever but I yeah. I, I just think like like John Blaze obviously like he in this he's he's important to the team but then like you said he also has kind of like that douche aspect where he's he's all trying to um to drink Brother Voodoo's scotch or whatever it is when they all group up together. He, he's basically hitting on the Black Cat and Satana, you know, like, uh, and, and basically anybody who, who's in the room that's a girl that has boobies, he's going he's gonna <laughs> to hit on them and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, I, I, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's sort of strange. Like, I, I, I just like when he's awesome. ghost. I'm just going to say, it's like when he's Ghost Rider, he's tolerable. Like, he's not the best Ghost Rider but he's at least like, eh, yeah, he's kind of Ghost Rider. But like when he's Johnny Blaze, he's not Johnny Blaze. He is John Blaze, this little fucking twerpy douche kid that you just don't like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's probably the the best way to to put it and put a cap on it because he's he's a twerpy douche kid as in in his his normal identity. Oh, that's that's what I wanted to talk about in the in the acting sort of synopsis write-up, you know, in the breakdown, like, they, they do go out of their way to not mention Mephisto. Like, that's something that's very different about this Ghost Rider. It's not yeah, the yeah. devil. You know, usually in the original comic, it's either considered the devil, or later it was retconned to be Mephisto. But basically, it was, you know, it's a head honcho guy he made this deal with. But in the write-up, they, they kind of insinuate the demon, which may or may not be Zarathos, I guess, because they don't really spell it out, but they basically just say the demon he made the deal with 
inhabits him as Ghost Rider. So it's kind of yeah. like, oh, that's 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 a different twist on it. Like the the demon he made the deal with is Ghost Rider per se, but they they never really deal with that very much in the actual miniseries. You know, it's just kind of in that little synopsis. So I thought that was kind of kind of odd. Well, what about you, Mike? You yeah. got any, any take on Ghost Rider in the Supernaturals? Again, I just I, I think I would just echo what you guys have said. He, he he was a douchebag. I definitely agree with the sentiment that when when he first appeared, like I I thought he was some like like throwaway character or something. Like I I was like, who's this like lameo? But you know, <laughs> who's this poser? But, yeah. and, then, and then after four after four issues, you're like, who's this lameo? <laughs> <laughs> you're still asking the same question. Yeah, and like. I don't know, like, I, I guess I had trouble, like, seeing him as Johnny Blaze, basically, like, because he was, like, a little, like, douchebag, basically, like, a little kid douchebag, so, like, more than, more than anyone else here, I had trouble seeing him, like, I, I feel like almost everyone else was a little closer to their, like, right ages, basically, but not him. Yeah, the de- aging him really did not help, it did not help at all. Yeah, I think the whole extreme sports thing, too, is just kind of... I mean, it's like, if they were going to do that, then you'd think, like, in this time frame, and and dare I bring it up, because Mike's going to go, who's that? But me and Tony are going to laugh and say we're old. But it's like, (laughs) you think about extreme sports, it's like, oh, well, what about Dan Cortez? I mean, he's not... (laughs) Dan Dan Cortez is a douche, but he's not a little twerp, you know? Like, it's like, he was actually kind of like, you know in shape and, and, and did all this athletic crap and was on MTV and was a big douche. But, you know, like he wasn't, he went on to be on like Melrose Place and all this he stuff. Was, like, he was, he was likable douchey, if that makes it, sense. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing. It's it's like if they were going for extreme sports, what ended up being drawn was like the Encyclopedia Britannica kid. You know what I mean? Like, Because <laughs> like, like, that's what he looks like, you know? And it's like, imagine the oh, I got that reference. You know, and it's like, imagine the Encyclopedia <laughs> Britannica kid coming and being like, hey, baby, Satana, let's hook up. And it's like, you're the Encyclopedia, fuck you, you're the Encyclopedia Britannica kid. You know, and it's like, I just, yeah. Well, you was, get them at three bucks for twenty nine ninety nine. Come on, <laughs> what a deal. <laughs> it's like, come on, man, this is, yeah, I think, I think for me, this was the, the biggest fail in the terms of, of reimagining, especially the John Blaze half of it and everything. Hang gliding. Are you serious? Just the freedom. It's like a bird. Hey, I like to fly. I like to fly. Couldn't be at Jordan, so I hang glide. No, wait. I want to know one thing. What kind of dance moves you get out of hang gliding? Well, when I hang glide, it, it, it gives me the freedom to do my new levitation moves. Oh, there. I got to practice that one. You got to show me how to do that one later. I guess I got to hang glide before I can do that. It is. You got to hang glide. Take a look, MTV Sports with Hammer. There it is. All right. Well, since this has turned out to be a Britannica commercial, I guess you're going to tell me how somebody could get a set. Actually, I thought I might, yeah. And I suppose you're going to throw one of those 800 numbers up on the screen. Am I right? Might as well. So, so we'll keep going down the, the character trail here, the write-ups and everything. And I... I I think I will ask Mike this before me and Tony even talk once I finish reading, because I feel like we've talked and then he's been like, I agree. So, so I want, I want him <laughs> to say some stuff and then we can go, I agree, Mike. So, so fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. can return the favor. So Felicia Hardy, also known as Black Cat, is 20 years old and a Democrat involved in New York politics. 
She can alter the fields of probability around her and mimics the characteristics of cats. Keep in mind, characteristics spelled funny. She is a morally just person, a true hero, who is in serious conflict about her power. After all, everything goes her way, even if she is wrong. She likes to listen to music like Jewel. She's a vegetarian, lives a new age lifestyle, and her black cat persona, given to her by Brother Voodoo, is very unlike her and tantalizes her. So that is the black cat write-up. Immediately, Michael, as a longtime Spider-Man fan, as someone who knows a whole lot about Felicia Hardy, thoughts? What the fuck? Well, at this subject, Mike, I want to ask this real quick before you go into a rant. Who will save your soul? <laughs> Who will save your soul? God. It's, it's, it's like they... Okay, well, let's get this out of the way. Like, the Black Cat's, like, bad luck power or probability altering, like, I never was very comfortable with that. Because I was like, well, what... Like, they, I don't think they ever really explain that well, except, like, when they explained it as she used to, like, you know, set up traps or, like, rig the battlefield or something, like, and that's how her, like, bad luck, quote-unquote, power would work. And, like, otherwise I was always kind of yeah. like, well, what is she? Did Kingpin give her some kind of mutant power or something? So, like, I, I never well, really, like, thought that was made clear. And, and they took well, that, it's, like, it's like... It was like Longshot, because Longshot was a mutant, and he had a good luck power, but even then, even though he had a good luck power, it'd be like sometimes it'd be like you know what happened, long shot, your good luck power not working. He's like, I guess not. Wah, wah, wah. It's like okay. Well, like, my my point is like they took this element of the character that I had never understood and never really like liked, and they made it like her primary like conceit basically. And I don't like her character traits. Like I don't know, they're not anything really anything like Felicia Hardy. So it's. It's mm-hmm. it's basically a new character with the name of Black Cat. Since you're uh, the the Spider Man guy, what do you think about the whole preacher voice shit she has? I, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, you know that that was not written extremely well either. I thought, like, uh, you know, you're talking about something like preacher, where you can get like, oh, Jesse Custer has you know, the word of God, and when he says something, people have to do it. Like, even in that first exchange, like, she kind of flippantly, like, it, it's this totally, like, non-subtle scene where she's at her job, and she's being propositioned. And it's like, I don't I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, a reflection of the times, if she's supposed to be, like, a hot version of Monica Lewinsky or something, but basically she's she's being propositioned at her job, and she is turning it down, you know, basically saying no means no. And the guy is not taking the hint. And then at some point, I think she casually is like, oh, geez, I wish you would just die and leave me alone. And then the next scene, the guy's falling out a window. And I kind of went, wait, what What exactly happened here? Like, it, it goes by so quick. And I was kind of like, and she's like, oh, my God, I did that. I did that on purpose. And I'm like, you did what? Like, he fell out a window. <laughs> Like, I don't, I didn't get it. And then I was like thinking, oh, like she, she influenced that, you know, that's, that's part of her supernatural power. And I went back and I was like, oh, I wish you were dead. Oh, 
Oh, okay. So since she wished that, it's like, it, it, to me, it, it seemed like it would have been better if she's like, why don't you just take a jump off a roof or whatever? You know, like, yeah. like, like if it was something flippant like that, like she wasn't, she was serious, but she wasn't like serious, serious. You know what I mean? But it's like there, it's just like, I think the line was something to the effect of, oh, geez, you should just die and leave me alone for hitting on me or whatever. And and yeah. I just didn't make the leap to, I wish you would die to, he fell out a window. You know what I mean? So yeah. That, that was sort of confusing. You know what really pissed me off about that scene? It is like they're trying to establish she has this power she can't control. And that's, I guess, okay. I don't, I, I'm, I'm with you, Derek. It's kind of confusing. But not only does she tell someone who, like, besides being kind of a horn dog, to, like, go die, you know, and he does, he tries. They clean it up very nicely so she doesn't look like a bad person. It's like, oh, he's a demon, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like she tries to save him and then halfway down the, the fall or whatever, then it's like, oh, and by the way, he's a demon. <laughs> so, so all, all, uh, you know, all bets yeah. are covered, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. She's not a bad person, you know? She, he, she probably knew he was a demon in some way, yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk about Black Cat visually, because I think when she's Felicia Hardy, she does have white hair, kind of, yeah, and looks yeah. like Felicia Hardy, but then when she turns into the Black Cat, when when Brother Voodoo gives her the, the cat suit and the powers and everything, it's like she's fully decked out in this black leather suit, and she's got black hair. And I started to wonder, it's like, I know they think they're being, like, original because, like, it doesn't look like the black cat, but I sort of ended up thinking it just looks like a combination between, like, Felicia from Darkstalkers and Catwoman, if yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah. But I, I don't know what your take on it was. Yeah, I, I would, yeah, definitely. I, I kind of got that vibe, too. Yeah, I agree with Mike. It's like they just took the name Felicia Hardy and they took the name Black Cat and they just made a new character, basically. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it feels like. And 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 of course, you know, the the whole thing about her being, a, a, you know, politically active kind of cracks me up. But, you know, that's yeah, just, I think I think also it was kind of a reflection of the, the current her current status in the comics that it's like she is a true hero or something. I was like, well, I guess she was kind of reformed by that point, but I would never really describe her as like that. So yeah, yeah. At best, it'd be like kind of like Deadpool is like she's trying her best, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's interesting that you note that because you know the six one six version before she had the bad luck powers was just a cat burglar. So this this version has no intention. You know, there is no occupation as a thief you know it's like she does not yeah, steal yeah. from anyone so that that aspect of her personality is completely wiped clean it's just she's she's this young politician girl you know kind of trying to make her way through new york and not get sexually harassed and then all of a sudden she's got these you know as tony says you know this kind of you know preacher word of god type powers where she says something and people have to do it basically I think what what it kind of strikes to me, I don't know Brian Polito as a friend. I don't know him from Adam, but you said he worked in Hollywood a lot. It does kind of smack of someone from Hollywood not knowing the character at all and being like, hmm, supernatural characters. Hey, you know what's really creepy on Halloween? Black cats. They're spooky. Oh, there's a character named Black Cat? Done. I'm, I'm a genius. Yeah, yeah. It does It does feel that way where it's, it's sort of molded to fit the theme rather than the the core concept of the original character 
you wouldn't necessarily in the 616 universe it's not like you'd be like and all of marvel's greatest magic heroes doctor strange doctor druid the black cat you know you're just like <laughs> yeah. what like you know like oh, when i saw the cover i was like what the fuck is black cat doing like in a supernatural team yeah hmm? oh what's the matter pussycat i don't do autographs till after the show of course that's assuming you'll still be able to walk after my performance <laughs> You're one of the dark ones, aren't you? I can tell from the smell. Ah, we don't say dark ones anymore. The politically correct terms, dark stalkers. So let's let's move on to someone who we have brought up because she's she's pretty integral to the plot, and I would say might be if if Justin were around, it might be the character he would try to champion, or he would tell us how vastly different she is from the original character. But here we go. Melissa Ramos, also known as Satana, is a 19-year-old fashion-conscious Latin teenager living in Miami who is deeply religious. During a near-death experience, she became possessed with the spirit of Satana, a demon who wants to turn to the side of light. Sharing the same body, they are trying to work together. Satana is an accomplished witch. As Melissa, she is five <laughs> foot seven. As Satana, she morphs into a five foot eleven body of a twenty five year old powerhouse. So basically, it's uh, I guess it's uh, Brian Polito's wet dream. <laughs> he can get some nineteen year old poon when he wants, and then he can get some twenty five year old tall powerhouse poon. I guess I don't know. Oh. Only in comics would you be like, she's an incredibly gorgeous woman who turns into an even more incredibly gorgeous woman. <laughs> it's like, she's gorgeous and young, and now she's a little older, but taller, but still gorgeous. <laughs> and a demon. Like, and likes good stuff. But, and likes what a drawback. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I will let Mike speak on this. That's me, because I, I will honestly say I am familiar with Satana. I know who she is as far as the Marvel Universe. But unlike Justin, who I wish was here to to champion her or deride her, I really don't know a lot about Satana, so I don't know if this character concept is close to how she is in the comics. Just by my gut feeling of like the few times I've seen her pop up, because she's she's definitely a B list kind of character. She seemed a little darker in the comics, but that's all I really got. I mean, if you guys know more about her, that's I'll let you guys talk about her. Well, I I would say that that if we had an expert on Satana, it would be. Justin, but I mean, I, I know enough to know that she was the sister of Damien Hellstrom, so obviously she was not a young, fiery Latina character, you know, you know, in, in the yeah. 616 incarnation. It's not like her name was Melissa Ramos. That obviously is is tacked on. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that the the 616 version of the character is somehow using Melissa Ramos's body as a host in this story, but it seems to me like they're, they're kind of two totally different characters. Yeah. I mean, what about you, Mike? Do you know anything about Satana or are you kind of like me kind of in, kind of in the dark? No, not really. I mean, my only knowledge of her comes from Thunderbolts. I guess we don't have any hatred for this version or, or love. I don't, I mean, not to be that guy, but she seems to be on the team just to be a hot piece of ass. 
Yeah, I mean that that's kind of why she's there. She gets hit on. She she her her preoccupation before becoming a member of the Supernaturals team is as a fashion model, basically. So I mean, she's there to look pretty, essentially. And then uh, it's also interesting too because she's supposed to be presented as a, a, a woman of faith as well. So not only is she super attractive, but supposedly she also you know is like a, a nice Catholic girl too, which is kind of like a dichotomy, you know, cause she turns into yeah. like Satana. <laughs> like, so that's, that's kind of funny. Yeah. And they, like I said, it's like, you know, like I'm a good Catholic girl and now I'm going to go put on this thong and go to work. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like that's, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would hazard a guess, even though, you know, I, it doesn't sound like too many of us have a bunch of, super familiarity with Satana, but, I mean, it sounds like she's just as extreme, you know, as all the other reinterpretations yeah. for the most part. I mean, when she's Satana, she obviously is, you know, kind of a, a supernatural figure where she's, you know, running around and, and you know, fighting the, the chaos with an exclamation mark magic and stuff. But, I mean, I it, you know, it, it seems like a, it, for that purpose, you know, Satana and Thunderbolts versus Satana on the Supernaturals. If she's just a good-looking woman running around shooting hellfire out of her hands, there's not that much difference between the character. But if you look at, you know, what her civilian life must be like, obviously the sister of Damien Hellstrom is not the same thing as, you know, Maria Ramos, fashion model, you know, but sweet Catholic yeah. girl who goes to church every Sunday, you know, or whatever her deal is. I, I think they were really trying to do the forced relationship between her and John Blaze, too, because they, they totally had that fucking moonlighting or that Sam and Diane thing from Cheers where they're like, you know, you're a pig. Well, you're a bitch. And then they like walk away and they're like, God damn, I love him. You know, it's like. Huh, that's interesting. I, I, I got the whole that they were antagonistic towards one another. I wasn't sure that he was ever going to you know, basically get any from her. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just thought she just, he was going to hit on her and she was like, just going to not return the favor basically. But uh, I, I don't know. Well, there's that like one panel where like, she's going to her trailer after he's being a douche. And she says something along the lines of like, you know, why does he get to me so much? You know, like, which could be interpreted as like, you know, yeah, he pushes her buttons, but maybe she kind of likes it. She kind of likes it, yeah. I yeah, I guess I could see that that interpretation of it. I I I don't think I thought of that when I was reading it, but but that makes sense. Yeah, so you know, and she's basically female Ghost Rider. She turns into a demonic female version, except she doesn't have a flaming skull. She's just you know, she's a girl demon. He's a guy demon. They're in love. Yay! Saturdays on Fox. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So let's let's talk about one of the other members of the team, and this is going to be the the final member of the Supernaturals team. It is Gargoyle Isaac Christians. Isaac Christians, also known as Gargoyle, led a charmed life as a handsome, record-breaking high school sports star until he barged in on a high-tech cult-based group called the Operation led by Morgana Le Fay. He became the test subject of a highly experimental bio-mystical experiment. And the result, anytime he feels fear, he transforms into the gargoyle, a powerful, huge hulkling. His Achilles heel, his presence siphons life force out of other people, 
Isaac detests his gargoyle persona and wants to return to normal. As gargoyle, he is seven foot six and six hundred sixty-six pounds. And that's yeah. I, I don't know what actor would fit that that write-up role, but God bless him. <laughs> Godspeed. I, I I will chime in on gargoyle. Because he's actually one of my favorite kind of B-list characters from the old Marvel Universe. One of the biggest things I don't like is, like, you're talking about how Ghost Rider kind of looks like the 70s, you know, version of himself. I, I Santana looks pretty much like she does in the 616. Brother Voodoo is kind of, yeah, superhero-y, which is fine. Black Cat also has a big revamp. I think Gargoyle was the worst one, though, because he's just a big green guy with really tiny wings. And in the Marvel Universe 616 proper... He's like orange and he's got like this purple kind of like medieval looking suit. He's got large, huge wings that look like he can actually fly. And he's he's much more of a like he's scarier, I think, in the orange version. The green version, the 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 write up says Hulkling. He's basically the Hulk. He's basically the Hulk in this comic. And it's just like I think they kind of missed the boat because because he's such a lesser known character, they just felt that they could totally revamp him and do whatever they wanted, and I'm like I don't know. I think the flying guy, you know, who was, like, kind of cool and he could breathe fire in the comics, I think that was much more interesting. I just think they kind of needed a strong guy, and they made a strong guy. Yeah, he he does seem to be vastly different. Like, I I, kind of got, like, a weird, like, Peter Parker, Hank McCoy vibe from him as, as, you know, Isaac Christians, whereas I guess I'm kind of used to, like, like Earth X, where he's like an old fuddy-duddy, like writing books and, and, and little text pieces, you know, for Earth X or whatever. <laughs> so, like, I, I know that's like one extreme to the other, I suppose. You know, like, obviously in the Defenders, he's probably just, you know, a normal-aged guy or whatever. But it, it just seemed like, you know, here he's he's extremely young compared to, you know, how he is in the regular comics. Yeah, do, do you know a lot about Gargoyle, Mike, or... Is that your Satana for this series? No, I do not. I mean, Gargoyle's always been a guy that I've seen in group shots, and I'd just be like, who's that? And I'd be like, oh, yes, yeah, <laughs> Gargoyle from Defenders. And I was like, I don't know a thing about him. That, that's probably that's probably what, what the Brian Polito was counting on. It's like, I'm yeah. counting on it! You know, because he can do whatever he wants with Gargoyle. But I, I, I think it's one of those things. It's like, for me, like, I'm a big fan of Ghost Rider. So if you know enough about it, you know enough to be appalled by what the changes that were made. But, like, if you don't <laughs> know enough about it, then it's just like, oh, I don't know too much about that guy. Like, so is he is he really different from his original incarnation? And then Tony's like, well, yeah, he was orange and he breathe fire and you know all this stuff and it really does seem like your analogy with the hulk is sound because his whole goal is he's like do i really have to turn into the gargoyle can't you just cure me like can't you cure me brother voodoo and it's like brother voodoo's like no man we gotta be a team dog you know like we gotta go fight the <laughs> chaos exclamation mark event you know like so it's like you know it's, 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 it's now watch out while i drop the base <laughs> yeah even though me and you and Mike have all like kind of given shit to characters who are changed drastically, obviously Mike's not a fan of Black Cat. You're not a fan of like how they do Ghost Rider. I'm not a fan of how they do Gargoyle. I will say, as far as the team dynamic, if if this wasn't Ghost Rider, Gargoyle, and Black Cat, if they just made brand new characters, it would have it would have been fine because the team dynamic works. It's just 
shunting these characters into those roles kind of leaves you a little like, what the fuck? You know, and so I, I don't have a problem with how the team works and like their roles in the team. It's just that like, this would be like if I read X-Men and Piotr, you know, Rasputin joins the X-Men and it's like, so what do you do, Peter? It's like, well, my hand turns into metal and I can interface with any computer in the world. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, wait, huh? <laughs> I am Computolasis, bro. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I, I, I understand. Like, it, it, it is, you know, it, it is somewhat removed from, from the original material. But that, that's why I think it feels like the Heroes Reborn type stuff where, you know, a, a creative group took the characters and then did what they thought would make them the most marketable and popular. And and I find it kind of interesting because they did the four issue miniseries and then nothing ever came of it because the sales weren't so hot, you know. So it's like yeah. ultimately, I guess their their reimagining didn't take off the way they had hoped. But I mean, I, I don't think they went into it intending it to not be successful. You know, I think they tried to make something that they thought would would appeal to you know the audience at the time. There's even like a little blurb at the end of the fourth issue. That little box is like. What'll happen to the Supernaturals next? If you want to see more adventures of these great, crazy characters, write in and let us know. And it's like, nobody wrote in. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, you, you know, they, 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 you know, the, the series proper, I mean, obviously it, it kind of goes into what we talked about with the backstory of the, the chaos event and how it wiped out all the non-magic powered superheroes. And then I think also to, to basically, solidify brother voodoo as the leader of the team they had to have the follow-up chaos event where basically druid and strange and all the other major magic users who could have been the leaders of this team instead of brother voodoo had to conveniently vanish and disappear despite all the uh annoyances with these characters stuff you mentioned jack-o'-lantern earlier and I do know you love some pumpkin-headed bad guys, so... I, 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 of, yeah. I, I, I do I do love pumpkin-headed bad guys. You, you know what's weird about this? Like, his visual looks a lot like Lord Pumpkin from the Ultraverse. Like, I kind of yeah. wondered if... I kind of wondered if he was supposed to be Lord Pumpkin. Like, because this is that weird era where, you know, Malibu and Ultraverse was part of the Marvel Universe. So conceivably, it could have been Lord Pumpkin. But they call him Jack-O-Lantern. And and it's kind of like Jack O' Lantern, who has nothing to do with the Spider Man villain at all. No, no, and, it's and not he, a mercenary and, or anything. Yeah, you know he, he he actually has you know mystical powers and everything, and he's dressed in a a purple pinstripe suit, and he's got a cape, and I mean essentially he looks like Lord Pumpkin from the Ultraverse. You know, I'm I'm kind of surprised. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure he breathes like green fire out of his mouth too. You know, so he might as well be Lord Pumpkin who is, you know, super cool looking. But, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you're, you're like, looking at the the design and everything. I don't know. I, I just, I've always dug stuff like that, whether it's, like, Sam Hain from the Ghostbusters or whatever. Like, I think guys like that look cool. So I think he was a cool-looking big bad, you know? I was, I was going to say, it must be a common, like, like, because it seems like Jack-O-Lantern's one of those Marvel villains that, like, multiple people, like, reinterpret, like, multiple times like every everyone there's there's at least like three or four different jack-o'-lanterns so yeah i mean the, the only time i can think of where he was really supernatural and zombie based was 
you remember when they killed him in Civil War, the Punisher like shot him or whatever. Oh yeah. So then yeah. so then later in in the Ghost Rider series that was going on at the time, they brought Jack O'Lantern into that series and he was actually resurrected. So it was almost like he was like the headless horseman or something, but he was Jack O'Lantern. You know what I mean? So it was like there he he did definitely have a supernatural bent to him, but that was, you know, years after this. So to me at the time, it's like Jack O'Lantern's just that guy who bounces around on his little pogo pod and takes over <laughs> for the hobgoblin. You know, it's like there wasn't too much supernatural to him, you know, like from from my perspective. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much yeah, that's what Jack O'Lantern was. He was like it's pretty much, you know, hey, this would be a really great hobgoblin story. Oh, he's dead this month. Oh, okay, get Jack O'Lantern, that's fine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, ultimately, he he's the big bad, and he's trying to instigate this this second chaos event. And I guess you know we might as well you know spoilers. Yeah, I was wondering if you want to do that. Yeah, go ahead. The, yeah. The, the the big reveal is that you know we we've obviously been given the setup that Jericho Drum and his brother Daniel Drum initiated the original chaos event, and it was all to bring back their dead mother and everything. But it turns out that Jack O'Lantern is Daniel Drum. So he is his brother, and he's been, you know, dressed up as Jack O'Lantern this whole time. And it turns out that he was sort of misled as a young boy, Brother Voodoo. You know, he thought his brother was doing it for, for good reasons, but instead he was actually doing it to, to grab more power for himself. And so this is just another attempt at a big power grab from him. And so that's the sort of shocking reveal is his like pumpkin helmet like crumbles away and it's like, You are my brother, you know, dun 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 you know, so that's yeah. that's the big twist to it. I mean I, I thought that would kind of made it more personal at least for for Brother Voodoo. I mean, if he is the leader of the team and is the uh, you know ostensibly the main character who we're supposed to follow, you know, it definitely makes their fight more personal and everything that that they're related and stuff and that his brother is so evil like he basically you know was trying to use their mother's death as a grab for for supernatural power and everything so i mean i i guess the intent is when he does the second chaos event he'll have even more power from all the other mystical heroes that are left in this version of the Marvel universe. And then, and then like there, there's just this big giant fight at the end and it leads to like all these kind of cool little cameos and stuff where, you know, yeah. (laughs) I mean, why don't you go into like, you know, who some of your favorite characters were? I know Tony wants to say something about a certain character that shows up. (laughs) Yeah. He's my avatar this week. And he's he's easy three whole panels out of four issues. Come on. That's very important. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to a couple of the ones I like. Yeah, and the big, big fight scene. First of all, there's Jekyll Lantern apparently is very powerful. His mystical abilities are, are pretty impressive. And honestly, as much shit as it sounds like we're giving Supernaturals, they did kind of win me over with the cameos. That was like, I was I was fanboying, I ain't gonna lie. I was like, oh, that's so cool. For example, we have the Shroud taking on a big beastie from one of the, it's mostly like a lot of Marvel 2-in-1 or Marvel-like creature comics from the 50s and 60s. And he's taking down a, a guy. And then we also have, there, there's two others that I really thought were kind of cool. There's the living zombie, who is he's earlier in the series. And basically at some point, Jack Lantern sends the heroes kind of, he separates them and sends them into like kind of like torturous nightmares. And the living zombie resurrects the gargoyle's friend who died, and he has to fight him. And also the 
Ghost Rider. Is it Ghost Rider? I think it's Ghost Rider. And the Witch slash Satana. They go to like medieval times. And they're confronted by Scarecrow, which is not the Batman Scarecrow. This is a totally different Scarecrow. And they're also confronted by a Headless Horseman, who is actually a Marvel character. There's a there's a Headless Horseman Marvel character, which I thought was also, again, pretty fucking cool. The Shroud is my favorite, though. I love the Shroud. He's, he's doing his best to fight. And also, there is Groot. And he's not – I am Groot. He is Groot Groot from the old days, like when he would talk. And he was just a big tree alien who – was not nice. He was actually a bad guy. He was actually a monster. So, they they have a nice two page spread with basically all the the journey into mystery type monsters that Jericho Drum basically either resurrects or or is using to his you know uh, in his assault to unleash all these chaos magics into the world and stuff. So you've got guys like Gruto, Gorgilla, Droom, Groto, Moomba, Grog. Rumbu, you know, so it's like all these old, like a lot they, of continents. Yeah, yeah, and and of course Groot is there, you know, pre movie stardom, you know, pre basically Guardians of the Galaxy membership. Like this is, you know, just a reference to his old Journey into Mystery issue where he was nothing but a spooky monster tree that attacked a bunch of people. He was, you know, the creature feature of the month, and so you know he he is. You know, it's, it's kind of like when John Byrne brought back, like, all those goofy monsters in She-Hulk, or it was, like, Zemnu the Titan, which originally yeah. was, like, I think he was actually called, like, Zemnu the Hulk, but then they couldn't call him the Hulk because they had the Incredible Hulk, so. This, this so. was this was before the Buster kept Groot out of handcuffs. <laughs> yep, yep, basically, <laughs> basically. Is there is there anybody in the, the cameo of, of heroes that, that appear in that final fight that you're particularly fond of, Mike, or that you'd like to discuss i don't think so uh okay. I, I don't really remember it too well like i noticed the shroud yeah and some of those like monsters but I don't so know you've got monsters. you've got like in that in that final fight it's basically all the people that they consider the remaining like magic users and stuff like that and so there's there's Frank Drake is definitely there with like all the other Night Stalkers. So I'm assuming one of those guys is Blade and one of those guys is Hannibal King and stuff like that. And then there's also yeah, U- Ulysses Bloodstone. Ulysses Bloodstone is there. The the witches of New Salem are there fighting. Of course, you know Damian Hellstrom is there with Hellcat because as we all know. They oh yeah, work, yeah, I did uh, notice Hellcat. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, figured... a, that's a shout out for Justin there. I, I'm sure he would yeah. love that little panel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's there's the panel for Justin. For some reason, Cloak and Dagger are there. I, I, I that that's kind of like one of those things where I was like, kind of like yeah. Alicia Hardy. I was kind of like, why why are they there? But okay, yeah, because Cloak and Dagger are mutants. I'm like, eh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't know exactly. I mean, I guess they could be spooky looking because Cloak takes people into the shadows, but I I still didn't know much what. That had to do with magic. There's a, a character, Mordred the Evil, who is basically like a Black Knight villain. But since he's based on, you know, Mordred from Arthurian lore, obviously he is a magic-based person. I thought maybe you would have noticed, Mike, that Morbius was also in the background. Oh, there, yeah. yeah. Down I mean, he's fighting stuff. that big guy, and the guy's yeah. like, you're a mosquito or something. Yeah, he's. I think like, he's I must ca- have your plasma. Yeah, I think he's like chowing down on like groom's plasma or something like that, you know. So and and, and honestly, wouldn't you have preferred like Morbius instead of Black Cat if they were going to fuck her up that bad? You know? Yeah. Well, Morbius. I mean, it's interesting. Morbius basically looks like he did in the '90s. You know, he's got that purple 
cape and the kind of black leather that he had in his own on yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I mean, yeah, I, I really did. I, I actually thought it was a very, like, like I said, I don't, I don't know if that was Brian Polito or if it was the artist who was just like, you know, I love these guys. But that, that really did kind of, I don't know, it, it did hit a little heartstring with me because these are guys who get no love now, like, like Bloodstone and, and Shroud. Even like Shroud had like a little, he comes back, you know, he's he's been featured, but like uh, it, it might it might distress that. it might distress you to know, Tony, that Shroud has been featured in Daredevil quite recently, and not in a very flat yeah. way. So. Yeah, he was he he's pretty messed up in that. Yeah. Yeah, any like a crime lord or some shit or something like that. No, he's just. I like don't a, know. I don't know. Like, no, he's so, just kind of. He's just kind of a loser. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's kind of a like guy right. from Daredevil to yell at, basically. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm hoping. I'm. I'm hoping for a Catman resurrection, just like uh, Secret Six. I do. I did want to say though, Derek, when you were seeing all these like big fight scenes and stuff like that, because you're you're like me, you're a little bit older. Like, even if you didn't know who all of them were, they at least looked familiar. Wasn't that? I mean. Did it kind of like you know give you that little bit of a you know like oh that's kind of cool you know that kind of yeah, yeah no I I enjoyed all the the cameos and stuff like some of it was like you're like wait is that Agatha Harkness you're like it is Agatha Harkness. <laughs> you know like uh, and it, that makes sense because she is obviously who taught Scarlet Witch how to use her magic powers I do find it kind of interesting that Scarlet Witch is nowhere in this miniseries but maybe she was like off limits or something like that but you know Agatha Harkness shows up. And then, and then they have a lot of the kind of supernatural, you know, besides Werewolf by Night, you know, you had scenes where the living mummy was there and Frankenstein's monster. And as you were saying, you know, the, the Marvel comics version of the scarecrow that would often fight Ghost Rider and Captain America, you know, it's like when he was fighting Captain America, I don't think he was such a supernatural character, but once he got involved in Ghost Rider's universe, he quickly sort of got upgrades to be a, a supernatural type of scarecrow. So, you know, there, there are those yeah. characters as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, and you too, Mike, because this, this has nothing to do with the lore. It's just like, what the fuck happened? At the end of issue one or two, I can't remember. I just read those tonight, too. Yeah, the living mummy shows up, and there's, like, this final like final page where, like, you know, Jack Leonard's like, yes, I will destroy all these stupid supernatural heroes. What do you think, living mummy? He's like, ah, and then he doesn't show up in the next issue. <laughs> Maybe they thought that was like sequel bait or something. I, I don't know. It seems yeah. like you know he was he was controlling werewolf by night, so I guess it's conceivable he could control. I mean, if he's controlling all the monsters and everything, I guess he could control the living mummy as well. But basically, what you're saying is like what what happened to the living mummy? Yeah, yeah. He just like he was in that final splash page, and then like. Issue two or three, like I said, I can't remember which one. He showed up and, and like, you know, came back. And then the next issue, he's not there at all. It's like, I think they actually go to fight, like, yeah, like, Frankenstein and Dracula. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah. I'm all, maybe he's still hanging out in Trump Tower because at the end of that second issue, they're like, we will take over <laughs> yeah. the tower as our headquarters. <laughs> because reasons. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah, yeah, I like a lot of the throwbacks and stuff. Like, I, we, you pretty much gave away the big reveal of, like, it being, you know, Jericho's brother. Daniel Drum. Daniel Drum, yeah. Like, the, the final battle is, is, like, well, first of all, Werewolf by Night does reveal he's actually, he's been playing, you know, Jack-O-Lantern all along. He's, like, been a double agent or something, I guess. 
And he, uh, he he does have a small mob. Like I said, Derek, he doesn't play a big role, but he he, do, he he basically does play Hawkeye. He like has that one scene where he saves everybody, and then okay, go away. I felt very unsatisfied with the conclusion because it was like it was pretty much Brother Voodoo against Jack Lantern, which you know you would expect. And you know the team chips in, and you know very, you know Vegeta comes back from the dead and shoots a blast to like distract Cell, and you know. I just I like for all the build up for Jack Lantern, I thought the ending was really kind of weak. It, it felt kind of rushed, like they they didn't have a suitable epilogue to it. It was kind of like, and now you're beaten. Okay, guys, let's all pat each other on the back. Did you like that? Write us. You know, like, like that's basically that's how that last page is, where it's Please just tell like, us we're good. Yeah, yeah. They they all just kind of walk <laughs> off into the non sunset, the, the the twilight or whatever, and and it's like, oh, good job, we stopped the bad guy. You know, it's kind of like, well, what about bringing back all the heroes? Like, what about like bringing back like Doctor Strange and stuff? It's like that would ruin the premise of our entire series. So we're just gonna ignore it as we as we walk off into the twilight, patting each other on the back. You know, like that's yeah. They're, they're like they're all like all the heroes. Like Jack Lantern when he's getting blasted away. You know, when he's pretty much team rocketing, he's like, I'm blasting off again. He's like, Oh, but you didn't win today because that staff it has all the heroes in it. Now I'm throwing it in the thing too. It's going with me. You know, it's just like, oh, okay, that's a that's a plot device that will never get resolved. <laughs> and you're just like, I don't know. I I I think for me, the idea of the series is really it, like. A good example of how this is done well is like Justice League Dark, or what was that book you wanted me to read with uh, the demon? Like, but it's set in the uh, older times. Oh, the um, uh, what was that called? Um, Shadow Pact. Uh, Shadow Pact is the other mystical thing, but that other thing was called. Right. Um, what the fuck was that called? Oh well, I know. That, yeah, well, it, yeah, I can't yeah, remember it, now. It, yeah, me either. But, I mean, like, DC has done this. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I know me and Derek sound like DC fanboys a lot on this show, and I apologize. But I, I, DC does it better, usually. And, you know, the, the, the problem is, is, like, me and Derek both love a lot of Marvel Supernatural characters. He's a big fan of Ghost Rider. It, it was called – I just looked it up. It was called Demon Knights is what we were trying to Demon Knights, yeah, yeah. Which was a really good series. It was, it was fun. It was short. didn't last long, but it was really good. You know, Derek loves Ghost Rider. I, I like Gargoyle. I like Ghost Rider. I even kind of like Werewolf by Night. He's not been shown a lot in recent times, but I liked his old series. And they just never seem to do it right. And they, they've tried this before. There's, like, Terror Incorporated. There was, like, Midnight Suns. There's, like, all these, like, you know, attempts. And, like, I think the problem is, is, like, when DC does it, they focus on the horror aspect. They they make it kind of creepy or they make it dark. And with Marvel, it seems like they try to make it edgy. They try to make them superheroes. And, you know, it, it's been shown with, like, Punisher is, like, yes, the Punisher exists in the Marvel Universe, but he's more fun when he's killing thugs and, like, gangsters and crime lords. He's not as fun when he's, like, trying to take down, you know, fucking Galactus. It just, you know, doesn't work. And I, I think that was a problem with this. It was, like, they tried to make him superheroes, like Derek said, with Voodoo. He has a very superhero costume. Like, usually he just has, like, some fucking... Chicken feathers and a vest, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here they 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 pretty much went all out on the. Uh, they went to the image store and got him like his chapel skull and his spawn cape and you know his tights from you know wherever. But yeah. Yeah, and I I think that was the disconnect. I, I 
I want to say, like I said, with all the cameos, if you're an old-school Marvel zombie, that was a thing back in the days. I know Derek knows what I'm talking about. Mike might have, too. I think they kept it into the 90s. If you're old-school Marvel zombie, it's fun seeing a lot of the cameos, but that's that's not a good thing where you're like, I like this book because of the cameos. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is a shining example of, of the epitome of 90s comics. I mean, the write-ups are like... You know, obviously we are laughing as we're reading them. You know, these these character descriptions, these these actor breakdowns, you know, they're they're pretty funny just reading them on their own and then seeing it in action. You you, you know, you 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 already know inherently what doesn't work about what they've changed. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean like that all the characters are sacred cows and can't be changed. I mean, we've acknowledged like this is the coolest brother voodoo has ever been yeah. for any of us. That doesn't mean it's the best brother voodoo could be, but I mean, as far as I could see, this is the coolest he's, he's ever been, you know, like, and I'm, I'm sure some people would say he was much cooler as Dr. Voodoo in, in the Bendis run or whatever, but I, you know, I'm not going to acknowledge that because I'm just not, you know, like, like it, it just doesn't, doesn't, you know, it just fit, it goes right through me. It's like I don't water. Have to, and you can't make me. <laughs> like like Jack Russell, I'm a I'm a fan of Bruce Lee, and I'm just gonna let it be like water. It's gonna flow through me and not affect me. So, you know, it's yeah, not gonna I, be a, I, it's not gonna be a crashing wave unless I I make it that way. So, yeah, I think if like they had this brother voodoo like as a solo title with just him being kind of a superhero, yeah, I'd probably read that. He's he's pretty cool. I don't mind him being Quincy Jones slash Will Smith slash. Wesley Snipes slash any positive black male actor or producer, like they wanted to give him like all the best traits of any like, you know, <laughs> like black entertainment entertainment media mogul. But like, I would read that. That would that would be fun. I was going to ask you, Mike. I know you haven't been able to chime in a whole lot because a lot of these characters are fucking old. I know you're a fan of Black Cat, but like as a series as a whole, did you enjoy it or were you kind of like, well, that was a comic? <laughs> I pretty much thought it was. Uh... <laughs> to, to be quite blunt about it, yeah. And I'm usually a defender of like some '90s comics, but this was pretty. This is pretty terrible. I mean, yeah. This is this is probably a shining example of mediocre '90s crap. You yeah. can put this in the file with Black Wolf and the Vision miniseries. <laughs> I, you know, what's funny is that the only thing I feel bad about is Ivan Reese, but obviously he's gone on to do much, much better things, and he's probably laughing his way to the bank. So I'm sure, I'm sure if somebody brought a copy of Supernaturals for him to sign at a con, he'd probably be like embarrassed and slightly like amused or whatever, you know. So. So, so I, I, on the bright side, I think we're all kind of even now because Mike gave us Spider su- Spider Verse, which suck balls. I was the the genius who said let's read Black Wolf, which was fucking horrible. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah, so so you're saying I've 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 Black Wolfed and Spider Versed you guys? Is that what yeah. you're saying? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> awesome. There, there. Just just before we close out on this, I will mention that there is a. I, I guess it's a hard to find variant cover that was drawn by Greg Capullo, which is actually pretty cool looking. It's it's you know kind of atypical Greg Capullo kind of spawny looking cover and stuff, but it, it does look kind of cool because it's got the jack o' lantern on the front among all the other 
team supernatural characters and stuff like that. But yeah, I, it's one of those things where I was like, oh, how, how did this escape my notice? You know, how did this Ghost Rider, this comic featuring Ghost Rider escape my notice? Well, now I know because <laughs> it was crap, you know. Because so, it was terrible. So, yeah, so. Anyway, the, scariest, so, so. the scariest thing about this book is that it was made. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you win some, you lose some or whatever. I mean, this was on my list and now I can say it scratched off my list. You know, now I know and knowing's half the battle. But I guess what we'll do is we'll move on to our regularly scheduled segment of the week, which is what is awesome in your world this week? And I'm going to start with the dumbfounded Norman Reedus avatar that's looking me in the face, which belongs to Mike. (laughs) So, Mike, tell us, what is your awesome thing this week? Oh, I just got a today, or not today, uh, the other day, I got another edition of Gundam The Origin in the mail. And uh, I think I'm up to volume... 10 or 11 now and I think there's only one more volume after this but it pretty much covers like the final battle in the series and you know it's it's pretty standard there's there's a there's, there's some differences and like they're interesting like they they give Sela a much bigger role like she actually like you know contributes I guess to the the end battle and sort of like the Zeon mini Zeon civil war that happens within like Abawaku or whatever between like Cassilia's followers and Garen's followers. But you know, it's, it's all kind of interesting and you know, Amaro and Char get their final confrontation and it kind of like ends on that cliffhanger when they do that like double shot that takes out both each other's mobile suits. So I guess like the next, volume will have the conclusion of the series and whatnot so they can have their little like sword fight in, in, inside that space fortress so but yeah, yeah like i'm enjoying that series so i'm glad I'm, it's almost done do you think do you think sailor is listening to jewel as well yes <laughs> <laughs> awesome. awesome maybe she's right. a latina democrat <laughs> She tells Amaro, Amaro, stop sexually harassing me on White Base. Go take a jump off the space station. And then she's like, Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go partake in some extreme sports. <laughs> Let me get in my Gundam that has a trench coat, because that's cool. It's like, meanwhile, Char Aznobol is publishing his latest hip-hop record in the <laughs> side, of, side three of Xeon Republic. Straight out of side three. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to do my awesome thing real quick. I got a figure arts Injustice Superman. It's pretty cool. I like it. It has three different heads. Since it's Injustice Superman, it is Angry Face Superman, Angry Face Superman with gritty teeth, and Angry Face Superman with glowy, angry red eyes. So those are the three different heads. Is he? Is he angry, Derek? He's angry. <laughs> he's angry. It's got it's got two different pairs of hands. He's got punchy hands, and he's got like grabby hands. I told Mike the other day I wish he had flyy hands. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> you know what I mean, I wish he I wish he had you know flat palms so that he could mimic flying as well. But he does not. So that's the only drawback I would say. The only unfortunate drawback. His scale, kind of like you were saying with the the Injustice Batman, it appears to be a little bigger than your standard figure arts, but it's not quite 
as big as say like a Marvel Legends or a DC Classics. It's probably I, I'm guessing I haven't done this yet, but I'm guessing if I put them next to like a movie masters Superman, it'd be kind of yeah, like 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 five like, and a half inches. Well, I, I think he's more like a true six inch scale figure as opposed to like you know Marvel and and DC. You know the Legends and the Classics. They're usually like kind of. You know, they're they're not really truly six inch scale. It's like they're six inch ish, where you know some of them are like six yeah. and a fourth or something like that. So I, I I do like it. I'm glad I I ran into it in my local comic shop, so I could just pick it up there. I didn't have to ship it anywhere, and that was pretty cool. So I guess we will finish off with yourself, Tony. And why don't you tell us what was awesome in your world this week? I've got a couple of things. First and foremost. I've completed the triumvirate for right now. It's going to turn into a quartet later on and, well, early on in 2016 when uh, Bruticus arrives. I finished Defensor. So now I have Superion, Minasaur, and Defensor. And honestly, Defensor is really, really nice. A lot of people seem to go back and forth saying if he's nice or not, if he's like a good combiner. I like him because the original Defensor, which I actually had when I was a kid, it was one of the only combiners I actually had all of. I, I had, like, three pieces of Devastator. I had, like, I think no Aerial Bots. I had no Combaticons. I had Strafe from Combitron. So, yeah, I was I was very combiner-deprived as a kid. So Defensor always had, like, a special place in my heart, like, for nostalgia. And honestly, this update, I don't care what anybody says. I like Rook. I think he fits. I think the combined form looks really good. He's really bulky and stocky. For anybody who's a collector, fuck the extra long cannon. Just give him two fireball cannons in each arm. It looks much more like G1. And for anybody who's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And for anybody who's like, you know, oh, he doesn't have, like, the proper groove. Because you can buy a groove. He's a Legends class, and he, he fits into the chest. I don't want that groove because it covers up the nice silver and red, like, emergency markings on his chest. And second of all, I just don't care about chest pieces. And third of all, I don't care about Deluxe Groove. If he comes out, like, as, a, as an exclusive for, like, 15 bucks, yeah, I'll probably buy him. Am I going to import him? No. My defense for it looks great. I like him. So, yeah, if you if you like that character or if you just like Combiner Wars, I would definitely recommend getting him. Much less fidgety than Minasaur. So, yeah, he's really cool. I'm a big proponent of the Rook mold. Like, I like that mold, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy to see it reused as Swindle the Impact or Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's a really good mold. People deride it too much. I think the problem with Alpha Bravo is, like, he was a, he was a pretty generic mold and nothing special. So I can see why people be annoyed by him, but Rook is really nice. I don't understand why people don't like him. And uh, second of all, I finally, uh, this week on DVD, I am one of the, like, only people out of millions who didn't go see Mad Max Fury Road in the movie theaters. I picked up the DVD this week, uh, watched it. Is it the most balls-out amazing movie ever, like everybody says? No. Is it a really good fucking chase movie? Yeah, it is really fun. You can sit down, like, get a couple slices of pizza, maybe grab a beer or two. And it's pretty damn entertaining. I, I enjoyed it. So, yeah, definitely, you know, two, two vehicle-inspired, I guess you would say, choices for my awesome thing. So, yeah, pick up Defensor and check out Manax Free Road. I am, I guess I am going to join the cult of the V8. <laughs> so when you when you pick up that pizza before you watch Fury Road, would you say maybe you could 
skateboard down in extreme sports style to your local pizza parlor. <laughs> maybe maybe while you're doing that, you can put on your headphones and listen to some Jewel, and and maybe uh, start a R&B hip hop album on your way there, and before you come back at pizza. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the whole time I'm skateboarding, I'm obviously dressed in my Bruce Lee black, you know, outfit from the Chinese Connection. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you supernaturals! You're so extreme. <laughs> you're hardcore, and Mike thinks you're crap. <laughs> you totally. Oh no, we all think you're crap. Yeah. <laughs> You're just, you're just extreme hardcore crap. That's all. Oh, I'm just saying, man. Dan Cortez is John Blaze, extreme sports <laughs> star, instead of the Encyclopedia Britannica kid. Hey, baby, Satana, want this this volume Z? I'll give it to you. Discount. Yeah. Uh, little, little, little note of fact. After we get off the show tonight, Derek is going to go on YouTube and look up all the episodes of MTV Sports you can find. <laughs> Uh, all right guys well i mean we hope you've enjoyed our fan holes fright fest for the month this will wrap up our halloween programming content we hope you guys all have a happy halloween if you're listening to this now halloween should be rolling around for you in a couple days so i hope everybody goes out there and trick-or-treats and get some candy and watch some scary movies and you know hopefully maybe listening to some of this has given you some inspiration to check out some of the scary stuff that we liked and that you've enjoyed listening to this whole month of programming if you've got any comments questions concerns if you like this kind of segment of programming and you'd like more theme months like this Send us an email at fanholtspodcast at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts. We are on iTunes. We love reviews on iTunes, so go ahead and leave us a five-star review. Let us know what you think, because those kind of reviews are always awesome. Gets us out there in front of the iTunes community. We are on Stitcher Radio. You can stream us there. There is now a new Podbean app where you can apparently stream us there. So we are on all kinds of cool means to listen to the show. We are on all kinds of social media as well. Of course, our Tumblr page is blowing up, thanks to Mike. All kinds of cool gifts and posts and pictures and things like that are there. So check out the Tumblr page. Check out the Facebook page. We, of course, appreciate all the shares and likes that we received from all the fans on Facebook. Our likes have been slowly increasing, so that's pretty awesome. Thanks for all those. And we are on Twitter and Instagram, so check us out on all those social medias. And until the next spooky Halloween, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, Extreme Sports, signing off, not listening to Jewel. Hey, it's Mike, signing off. Hey, this is Tony, and reading Supernaturals makes me want to feed my intestines into a fucking film reel. <laughs> we, we didn't realize that La Fin Absolute Demon for comic books is the Superman. <laughs> yeah, you can't so, read uh, that. Can I see the movie? <laughs> so like, you don't want to read I, that. Don't want to read you that. Want, you, you don't want to read that comic, Derek. It doesn't have a good feature of Ghost Rider. So, um, can I probably read the comic? Please? So like, fifty people died reading this comic. So can I read it? Like. <laughs> I, no- I notice you are smearing your intestines on the pages of this comic book. Can I, can I read it? I, I was already, I was already the comic books. 
supposed to be used as a weapon. <laughs> I was I was already seeing uh, visions of Ghost Rider in my head, so it's too late for me. I guess I might as well take the the four issue miniseries and the Ashcan and take it with me. So. All right, guys. Peace and spookiness. <laughs>
So I'm actually going to really take a break and go to the okay. bathroom. And then, uh, then we can do the supernatural thing. Okay. All right. so, so, Mike, now that, now that Derek's gone, do you think he's just going to talk for an hour about how cool the pumpkin head guy is in Supernatural? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I do, Jalen. Hey, we need, we need outtakes, so good, good. Keep talking some more shit. 